Greetings, everyone, and welcome to the Stacks. This is Jay. And I'm Shanray. Like a stingray. Oh, okay. I, it doesn't yeah, work I, at all, but nothing else does. I, I almost wondered if you were going to go with like a, a, a reference to Seinfeld. <laughs> but we'll, well, we'll have to that get to would, that. That would <laughs> require more explanation. Pretty abstract, yeah. Because, uh, yeah, we'll we'll have to get to that in part two when we talk about <laughs> Stingray, a strange movie. <laughs> Real strange. Uh, but our first film this week, we're talking about 1962's Black Test Car uh, by director Yasuzo Masamura. Crazy, crazy film. Um, a lot of just... It's like one of those films that's mostly guys in business suits talking about things, but it's intense. Yeah, like it's on the surface, it's a corporate espionage movie, uh, but it's it's kind of an examination of capitalist accelerationism, especially in Japan in the you know post-war economic miracle period. Mm-hmm. And I, I think especially it's like... It, it never feels jokey, but I do consider it to be ultimately a satire because it, it, this is it's about capitalism and there's this absolutely intense capitalist fervor between these two companies. But like it's a satire of its central conceit of the idea of competition breeds better quality and more options for the consumer because the two cars end up being exactly the same car they're just competing to sell them at different prices by the end yeah um and it's kind of funny that that's all that the uh the spy war really amounted to because you could just put your car on sale it's like oh yeah well your car is nine hundred and eighty thousand yen well mine's going on sale for nine hundred and seventy nine thousand yen i like you could just do that forever it's it's like there there was a time when I worked uh, at Future Shop back in the day when record stores in big box stores were sort of like their own little pocket universe, and some lady came in looking for a Clay Aiken CD, and it had been lost somewhere in the back. So like the the case of them just it did, hadn't come to us, okay. uh, and she's like. First week sales make or break an album. It's like, who are you, lady? <laughs> yeah, why do you care? Uh, but it, it's that thing like, no, well, we just got to be the first to name the price and kind of cement it in the public eye. But like, it, it's for like, it's just them trying to sell the same car, like two two exact clones of the same thing and they're so passionate about it that like people need to die people need to go to jail mm-hmm, mm-hmm. our our uh hero <sighs> uh yeah well, we'll we'll get to we are gonna get into this guy protagonist but, uh like, yeah protagonist that is the word he just he's a company simp he yeah he's kind of a, a 60s uh like corporate automaker japan uh gordon gecko like he he's uh an an icon of just doing everything for the company and just like you know he he's such a true believer but like 
he's so blind to what it is that he believes in because like he's always like oh the pioneer i believe in this car yeah he's always like i love this car and it's like dude you don't give a shit about the car itself because like the competitor is going to be selling the car too Uh, the car is going to sell to people and people are going to buy it it's just uh it it gets so petty that like and and the the pettier it gets the more intense it's treated uh, we, which I, I was saying just before we started that uh, Masamura is, I, I don't know if it's the previous movie, but it's one of his previous movies. Uh, Giants and Toys is like the same story, but like in a caramel company or two competing caramel companies. And it, it's that same thing, just like it, it's so frivolous there that like the intensity with, with which they treat it is so absurd yeah, like, even at the end, one guy says, are sports, cars, companies, and money more important than human lives? And and uh, Onoda, the protagonist, is basically like, yeah, obviously. Yeah, he he's not answering, but it's like, I mean, isn't that what I've just been saying to this guy for the past five minutes that made him kill himself? But we're getting way ahead of ourselves. Oh, yeah. We're, <laughs> we're talking about the ending, but we haven't even talked about the beginning. So... Uh, just a, a movie with really dramatic, intense close-ups, uh, really high contrast black and white. This kicked off a whole series known as The Black Series, uh, made by this company. Uh, yeah, which makes a lot of sense when you realize it's the black test car is not black. Well, it's covered it is in, in black. The, it's co- <laughs> <laughs> it isn't the first shot, but that, that's not. they're not referring to the color of the car. Yeah, well, like, so this whole series that came out from this studio uh, sort of emanating from the success of this of, uh, you know, black something. And it's just sort of examining the salaryman culture, like in the trailer on the disc, they they sort of uh, have this big thing about uh, the wrath of the salaryman. Yeah, I keep learning more and more about salaryman culture and oh my god it is like the more i learn about it the more intense it is the more you basically gotta stop being a person and it's like this is the birth of it like this is where it started because you know this is japan recovering from world war ii uh and uh it it is that post-war economic miracle time where suddenly the uh, the economy set, just takes off and mm-hmm. uh, this corporate culture becomes extremely, extremely chaotic. So uh, the movie opens up with the test car uh, wrapped in, you know, all of this black covering. So the design can't be seen by spies. And it's kind of amazing that this is still a thing to this day. Well, it, it does make sense because you do have to test these cars somewhere and you do have to make sure that your other that your rivals don't see the car and and today more so even than before everything is being recorded everywhere right and it it just seems strange that you can't let your other people see what your car is going to look like because they'll maybe steal the whole design it's like if it's that good maybe yeah fine uh let other people do more with it whatever uh <laughs> If it's the best design, I mean, you had it copyrighted. You like the, the, all of copyright law is so extremely 
geared towards corporations now that oh, I, yeah. I feel like you could prove this stuff, but uh, it's it's a spoiler culture more than anything else now, I think. <laughs> you know, I think you're right. <laughs> so this is Pioneer Test Car number one, and they're like going into the test and like just as they say, like, all right, we're beginning the test and they pass a team of spies with just all sorts of recording equipment. Mm-hmm. But like like 60s recording equipment. So it's it's got like this aesthetic that you don't that obviously doesn't exist anymore. Right. Like all the recording stuff is like the the analog uh, film reels and all this. Uh, I thought it was actually like a TV crew at first. It kind of looks like that. But yeah, like film reels, tape reels, uh, you know, the the big metal mics. Uh, It's Mm -hmm. great, though. And then immediately they hit a curve and one of the tires, one of the front tires just gives out. uh, The car rolls and explodes. And presumably the three people inside are killed. Presumably. But, you know, we never get confirmation either way. Yeah, no one ever mentions it. They don't. They don't matter. Like they're the about to have don't. a <laughs> they're about to have a whole boardroom meeting about this, and I don't think they ever mentioned that you know three people died today while some of them were uh, there behind them in the car, uh, in the in the following. Yeah, car. no, that doesn't come up. It doesn't come up. Uh, and yeah, just the title appearing over the burning upside down wreck is a, mm. an excellent choice. <laughs> Black test car. <laughs> yep. Uh, and so we, we immediately cut to the headlines about the Tiger test car failure and the board meeting where Onoda is explaining to his superiors and is like, well, there is this issue with uh, unpredictable acceleration, but the car is technically perfect. So unpredictable acceleration, but the car is perfect. Yeah. It's like, well, there was this thing. It it accelerated unexpectedly. Uh, we we will have the technicians the check error. it out. Yeah, but like, listen, my car, the one I designed, it's perfect. Trust me on this. Uh, and and they have this whole debate on whether they're going to start production. Yeah, and sorry, go ahead. Okay, because so, Ana does whole thing is he wants to be or he wants Tiger to be the first to introduce a luxury sports car in post-war Japan. Because they've, you know, they've only done like family sedans uh, since the end of the war. Right. And like, ultimately, he kind of bullies them all into starting production. Uh, The chairman, Oguri, is going to report to their CEO, who's just in the hospital for unspecified reasons. He's he's miscellaneous dying. Yeah. Yeah. Uh. But, like, they're going to keep everything secret. Uh, every single element of everything has to be uh, a giant secret. There's spies everywhere. And there oh, yeah. are spies if, everywhere. There, there are spies every fucking where. Because we cut to their own spies arriving. <laughs> <laughs> uh, quote, unquote, their own. It's uh, Matoba who arrives and he's like, so uh, Yamato had a whole bunch of spies at the crash, just so you know. I, I don't know why I know about them having spies there. Well, I'm the runner. I mean, I'm, in the... I, I mean I, uh, I'm always covered in sweat and out of breath. You know, that's how you know I'm working hard. Well, he works for the newspapers in some capacity, but he's kind of just an information funnel, both directions, I think. Yeah, like we're, we're to believe he's 
he's their guy on the inside of the newspaper and he has access to all this other information and we're to believe that he that he's in Onoda's pocket right like it, at the very least he does uh, or, or he works yeah he 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 makes or like he he makes their cars or he uh, has people write up their cars in the press in a positive way. Like he, he sort of juices them in the press. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there's also, uh, we were introduced to Moatari, uh, who is the director and head of planning for Yamato. And they note particularly while well, they run into him at the bar that he's a former army officer. Yeah, this guy is basically like the super spy mastermind. And he really is, which is he kind of so funny. is he never loses until the very end. And and it's funny that we're just kind of watching the losing side of this the whole time, trying to get ahead. And like they ultimately win, <laughs> sort of quote unquote. Um, they a, don't a pyrrhic victory. Lose. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and like he is sort of ultimately taken down, but it, it's just like it, it's all so petty. Mm-hmm. So and, like, sorry, go ahead. And, and Mautari, uh, he he just seems to be like ten steps ahead of them the whole time. And oh yeah, we, we don't find out until the end how and why that ends up being the case. I mean, there's a lot of ways, I think. <laughs> yeah. Maybe more ways than they realize even at the end. Uh, I think so. Yeah. So Anada, he's created his own special dirty tricks department. And <laughs> he's like, we know there's definitely a spy because there's only 30 people total who knew where and when this test was going to be. So it has to be one of these 30 people. So what we're going to do is we're going to print out these 30 falsified data sheets which you know are are plans for some family car and not for the pioneer and there's like okay we'll we'll give these out to everybody and we'll see who doesn't return theirs when we ask for them back in a couple days i i guess photocopiers must not be widely available yet well i guess this company doesn't have them yet because they they have have to to get it done yeah, and they talk to the like the photocopier guy is kind of an important character in this ultimately as well. He's sort of a pivot point. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, I mean, like it's at the dawn of the photocopier. I remember there's an episode of Mad Men where the their business gets a photocopier for the first time, and it's this big, shocking, amazing thing. Actually, yeah, that that came out like in the '60s. That would be after this, though. Yeah, so like... So, yeah, I guess that's I mean, not even invented yet. Yeah, so there's some kind of copying machine, because there, there is a guy who sells copying machines, but uh, I'm not quite sure what sort of uh, style they were at this point. Yeah, it's definitely not like the Xerox. I, I, I wonder if it was more like, like he actually had to get it done on a printing press. It might be that he's like a, a printing press salesman or something like that. I'm not quite sure. Uh, but yeah, I, I mean, this is 62, so it might be right around the same time. Like this, it might be like a, a brand new thing or something. Mm-hmm. But uh, so the, they, you know, they have these 30 data sheets printed out. And we have Anada talking about how he's this real true believer. I believe in the pioneer. 
and he's really anxious about his brilliant design potentially being stolen by the bad guys. <laughs> being more like been stolen. But... Has been, yeah. <laughs> he doesn't know that yet. And so he runs he runs into Maotari, Maotari at a bar. Uh, and he, he talks to him about uh, the articles, you know, about the uh, the crash and everything. And he he directly calls him a professional military spy. Oh, yeah, this this scene, he's all like, hey, why don't we have like a friendly competition? We'll see if you can. We'll see if you can figure out the secrets of the car or if I can keep the secrets from you. Yeah, and like it takes him a number of failures before he admits like. I guess I lost that bet because he does say it at some point. He's like, oh, oh yeah, yeah. He, I, I think it's when he gets the plans for the my pet that he finally realizes, <laughs> like, ah, oh, son of a bitch, I lost that bet. Uh, so Aguri, we we see him speaking to the director in hospital uh, r- regarding the the outcome of the board meeting about the crash. Starting so production. That's like the the vice president guy. Yeah, the guy who he's like, if the pioneer is successful, uh, we're gonna finally be number one because we're second behind Yamato. We're really eager to finally overtake them. We're sort of the underdog company, and if we're number one, I'm gonna retire, and Oguri will be the president. Yeah. Uh, and Hiraki visits him as well because he's the son-in-law. Right, right, the son-in-law. So I, I, I had a hard time uh, with a few of these people's names and which one was which. There's a lot of uh, characters to yeah, keep track of because like, you know it, it's it's a spy organization that happens to be a car company. <laughs> yeah, and, and it's like because it's a everybody's spy thing, suspicious. You never know which of these guys is going to turn out to be important and which one's going to be a red herring. Um, there's a few of both. Yeah, it it turns out everybody's corrupt. It's corruption all the way down. (laughs) Yep, yeah. It's just in different sort of ways. Mm -hmm. So we also see Asahina going with Onoda. Uh, Asahina is his second in command, and he's like sort of his protege. Uh, And he he comes with him to his apartment, and he's like, you're going to make department head if we succeed uh, once uh, the pioneer takes off. And is this the part where Asahina meets, meets Onoda's wife? Right. And she's like, I, I hate how much uh, Onoda works. Don't do this to your girl. Onoda's like, work is the primary concern for men. <laughs> yeah. Turns out uh, Onoda's wife is basically a non-character. She does never, uh, uh, she she does not appear in the movie again, as far as I know. And she is never referenced again. Onoda does not talk about his wife. He talks oh, about the pioneer because that's he, his true. He works his true love. Yeah. The, the, yeah. Uh, it, it work is his primary concern. Uh, mm-hmm. But like, I, I do find this interesting because it's the stakes being set for all of these people. If this thing succeeds, everybody moves up a notch. Yeah. Like the whole company moves up a notch and everybody internally moves up a notch and they can just hire people beneath them with its success. Yeah, yeah, it's all about getting that next rung up the ladder. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and Asahina goes home to his girl, Masako. 
And she this works woman a is a freaking saint. Oh, it, she puts up with way too much. Oh my god. She is uh, really willing to go a long way, even though, like, the whole time she's like, this is bullshit, and I know it, and you know it. Yeah, yeah. Um, We'll, we'll talk about her. I, I have a lot to say about her, but yeah, we'll, we'll talk. But maybe so, not like, about this scene. So, like, she's a bar hostess. Yeah. And she hates doing it. Uh, but he's like, look, I... I want you to keep being a bar hostess, uh, uh, and I, I will marry you, but the pioneer needs to take off first, you know? I, you just need to, listen, transfer over to this place called Pandora Bar. There's this guy, Mautari, who hangs out there. He's really old. Maybe you could just spy on him for me, and then we could get married, I swear. <laughs> <laughs> and... <laughs> And then, well, what, what, (laughs) I was like, and here I thought to myself, is he, like, is there, like, some unspoken thing where he's basically telling her to sleep with him? And it's like, "Mm," it becomes less unspoken later on. Yeah, and, like, here she's dubious. She's like, I don't think I want to marry you if that's the clause in the contract. That doesn't seem appropriate. That's what she said. She's like, I'm not going to marry you if there's conditions involved. Yeah. And it kind of seems like they almost are are on the verge of breaking up. But then we do see her getting the job at the Pandora bar. Yeah. So I guess she's like, all right, I'll, I'll, (laughs) I'll, I'll see this through for whatever reason. I mean, I I guess it's already her job. She's like, okay, I'll do the job at a different place. Fine, I could use a change of scenery. I hate my job. Yeah. Um, Yeah, so she's uh, flirting, or not even flirting, being flirted with by Mawatari. Yeah, and it's creepy. Oh, so creepy. Like straight off, he's he's like, you remind me of my daughter. It's like, oh, <laughs> how old is she now? <laughs> oh, oh, don't worry about her. She died in Manchuria. She, she, she died in the Manchurian War. It's like, great. So did my wife. Yeah. I'm single. It's like, wouldn't you like to come up to my apartment? I have lots of uh, extremely uh, uh, high-end jewelry. I could give you some. It's like. I don't know about that, dude. <laughs> and, then, and then he's then he's like, well, first, let me just pull out the uh, data plan for the Pioneer that so that you could tell Asahina that you did your job. Because, yeah, like, he just she she's like, oh, we'll take rain check on that, though. <laughs> yeah. No. And then, yeah, no, she doesn't go up with him. No, well, Shimamoto shows up to interrupt it. Oh, right, Shimamoto. He's, uh, he shows up here, too. Yeah, so he comes to sit down with them, uh, but, like, he's not sweet on Masako. He's into the madam who runs the bar, uh, who, I I think there's, it's kind of implied, or at least he feels that Mautari has some sort of thing with. Yeah, that's, that's not really, we, we don't get to learn much about Mamatari as a person at all and his involvements. We just know that he's ahead of the Tiger Company right yeah, up I, until five minutes before the end. 
Right. Uh, until finally he, he works himself into too much of a corner uh, with too much of a paper trail. Yeah. So they like Masako reports back to Asahina about like, yeah, she she did talk to him. She was invited to have some expensive jewelry and there's Shimamoto and he's into this person like, OK, OK, cool. Uh, and Asahina's like basically like, why didn't you go up with him? He could have let he could have had his guard down. Yeah, he's like, like, dude, I don't know, you're taking this too far. And I feel like here they maybe break up or or take a break. It's hard. Yeah, because when like we don't see her for quite a while, and when he comes to her again, he's asking a lot, and it seems when he comes to her that they have been broken up for a while. Which is very it kind weird. Of feels that way. So it's, um, it feels like maybe that happens here because th- this does seem to have a pretty compressed time frame. Oh yeah, um, we have no idea how much time passes, but it feels like it's only a couple of days. But it's got to be more than that. I feel like it's over the course of maybe a few weeks or maybe a couple months because it's like I feel like a couple months because. Yeah, like we have one scene where it's like, let's start production, and then the very next scene, these things are on the road. Right, although the one that's on the road is the very first one on the road. True. Although, yeah. Uh, so uh, they they get all the papers back. So they're like, well, uh, that didn't work. <laughs> but they, they figure, well, at least whoever we sent them to, if they gave them to someone and got it back, which I guess we could have anticipated would be a really logical thing to happen. Uh, <laughs> well, at least we've spread misinformation because we gave it a wrong design. But, you know, they're wrong about that, too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, yep. And th- this is when Asahina is sent to pretend to sell fake plans to Matari. Oh, yeah, this is great. <laughs> he goes in, he's like, uh, he's like, oh, so I want to uh, sell you my, the the plans for uh, the Pioneer, uh, the, which is a family car. Um, yeah. Why do you want to sell these to me? Well, you know, I need money and stuff. They go, sure, sure. Yeah, OK. Uh, and, and he starts asking a bunch of different specs. He's like, well, you know, they're they're in the plans. Just, just and, look at the plans. It's like, no, I want to hear it from you. It's like, yeah, well, I mean, these plans won't do because these are the these are the plans for a family car. And it's like, uh, it is a family car. Like, bruh. <laughs> it is not a family car. You are not staking your company's thing on a family car. And also, I know it's not a family car. Yeah. It's like, look, I know it's a sports car. Uh, you, you can just go back and tell your handler that I know it's a sports car, and and we can stop some of this back and forth. And then he he's like, you know what, you're ter- you're terrible at being a spy, but here's like five bucks or whatever. Yeah. You entertain me. He hands him like a bill. He's like, this, this, this is was for worth. Your trouble. Yeah, this was worth a bit of a, a bit of petty cash. Go back to your guy. I just love that he freaking. <laughs> it's such a slap in the face. It's so good. Well, it's a real spy move, like an actual like James Bond type spy, because this is contemporary with the first James oh, Bond. Oh, I guess movie it would too. be too. Same yeah, year. that was sixty-two. Hmm. Hmm. So they have another Dirty Tricks team meeting, and they're like, okay. 
this because he knows that it's a sports car it narrows it down to 14 total people who could possibly know and this is where it has my favorite line in the whole movie it's like now they're all enemies that's what it's like to be in a company (laughs) (laughs) it's like absolutely intense like there there is a utter seriousness about it but just yeah that's what it's like to be in a company like wow it's your enemy like corporate culture is so poisonous oh it's terrible uh so matoba arrives and he's like so yamato have a new model in the works (laughs) you'll never guess (laughs) and they they go on this kind of expedition They, they kind of exhaust all of their resources to start uh finding what the yamato model is going to be right so uh, what what comes first? Do they go to the guy who took the kickback, or first there's the auto workers union office? Oh right, where like they're able to get some documents on their production schedule uh, from, and and like the two guys that they talk that are talking there just outside the office. It sounds like both of them are working both sides. Probably the, these are like secondary guys who I think you pretty much only see in this scene, and they're both like, yeah, yeah I mean. We, you sell them to me, I sell them to you. It doesn't really matter. I mean, we, we're both like being shafted on either end. So uh, we, we just work for the union. Who cares? Yeah, that's right. <laughs> they're like, they're saying stuff like, hey, like you've been selling to us for a lot longer than you've been selling to them. You wouldn't want to shaft us. You're a longtime customer, would you? Oh, that's, that's a different one oh, altogether, that's a different too. One? That's, that's another third guy. Uh, okay. So they, they go to the, the copier guy. And he's he's pretty willing to help them uh, spy because Yamato's design chief, Mori, made them made this guy give him a bribe to get their contract to sell photocopiers or copiers or whatever. It's like that's a that is pretty shitty. But like, again, so indicative of the whole layered corruption in this. Mm hmm. Oh, so so this is the kickback guy that that's coming up. Pardon me. This is the kickback guy then that's coming up. Well, this is the kickback guy. Yeah. So like he's yeah he made me give him a kickback uh, to uh, to to get the the contract for the copiers. Uh, so like yeah sure I'll I'll help you spy I'll I'll give you what I have from the from when I go in to change stuff or fix things for the copiers fine whatever. Right. And then they go to the parts manufacturer guy, and he's the one who's like, look, uh, we've been buying parts from you for a while. You don't give us the Yamato specs sheets for, like, the parts being manufactured. Maybe we just take our contracts elsewhere. And the guy's like, dude, I'm legally not allowed to do that. (laughs) Like, Like, don't you see, like how me being dishonest here would be problematic in that it shows you that I could be dishonest and then you can't trust me either. Like, it's it's fine when you're working for me. It's the thing that he's constantly overlooking and that I feel this type of person constantly overlooks is that like, if you work on a baseline of corruption, you're going to see corruption everywhere and you're going to breed corruption everywhere. It's like the Serpico problem. Yeah. Yeah. Or or it's like it's like I never thought this uh backstabbing 
spy guy would stab me in the back. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Or, or like, yeah, like the leopards eating faces problem. That's... <laughs> right, the party. Uh, yeah. And so, like, they, they pull all of these resources together, the production schedule and some of the parts and uh, all, all of the stuff that they've got. And they're like, well, we don't really have enough information to say for sure, but it kind of looks like the pioneer, doesn't it? <laughs> That's strange. I don't know. And so they're, they're like, okay, well, this guy, Maury, we know he bribed the copier guy. And that's how we got the copier guy on our side. So maybe we just go rough him up a little. <laughs> <laughs> Which is exactly what they do. <laughs> like, it's like they, they drive up to his house. It's like, oh, nice new house he bought there. Hmm. Wonder where he got the money for that. And Maury's on his way to work. Yeah, and they, they, like, watch him walk all the way away and around the corner so his family doesn't see him anymore. <laughs> they're like, hey, why don't you get in the car? I'm like, uh, okay. <laughs> it's like, we have a business matter to discuss. And they shove him in the car. Like, like shove him in. They shove him in, and they, like, take him to a quarry. And it's like, this is not good. I'm, I'm in a secondary location. You don't want to be here. He did not go... You don't want to go to a secondary location, no. And it's just so crazy. It's like, Onoda's like, he's like, I'm with the Tiger Company. Here is my business card with my full first and last name and contact information. I will be kidnapping you and beating the shit out of you now. Yeah, I mean, like, he, he does kind of treat himself like he is a police officer in the employ of uh, Tiger Motors. Like, he he's... He is special police now that he's the head of his Dirty Tricks uh, corporation. Oh, yeah. And people keep, like, saying to him all the time, like, dude, what are you doing? You're not a cop. You can't yeah. do this shit. He's like. It's for the I'm good of the company, of the... though. <laughs> it's for the company. Don't yeah. you understand? It's it's for the pioneer. The pioneer's yeah, my I'm dream. I'm basically doing this for you. Yeah. Don't you understand? Capitalism. Yeah. Uh, and. Uh, so yeah, they, they're all, they, he, he, they first are willing to bribe him. It's like, well, we'll give you 1.5 million yen. And it's like, you're going to take it because, uh, we, we know about this kickback. And if you don't take our bribe and give us the information, well, we just go to your company about this and you lose your job and you have to, uh, try to find a new business. At, at your age, how are you going to do that? He's like, well, okay, okay, well, why don't I just pay back the kickback? And it's like, that's not how this works, buddy. Yeah, this is this is blackmail, and it's like, I I refuse to be intimidated by this. And they start pushing him down and stepping on him. It's yeah. Like, <laughs> okay. Uh, like like knocking him, like shoving him down into the mud. It's like it sure would be a shame if you had to give back your fancy house and live in a regular apartment again. Yeah, and so like finally they they get him to to like get back in the car and like okay, we're gonna drive all the way to your office and let you out. Uh, and by the time we drop you off there, you're gonna have an answer for us. <laughs> and it cuts back to him bringing him bringing them the designs, and ultimately. Uh, it, it doesn't, 
they've they've really won so little by doing this because he he brings back the designs he tears up the check they gave him and you know he has a little speech about how you know you guys are full of shit and uh i i i won't be stained by this and i i, I don't give a crap anymore and yeah. asahina is troubled by it this is the first point where he's like are what are we the baddies yeah what? yeah he's like you know doing blackmail is really low and vile we shouldn't be doing this shit well we deserves it by being able to be blackmailed yeah, I mean, if he didn't have something to be blackmailed for, uh, uh, I mean, that that's totally on him. And it's like, so you're saying that all blackmail is morally good? I feel like there's a flaw in your logic here. Again, like, just yeah, th- this breeding of ultimate, just endless corruption. Yeah, uh, which, yeah, and... And of course, there's always a thing of like, well, how do I know you're not going to blackmail me next to get something you want, which they don't bring up. But I wonder if like it feels like they're thinking it. Yeah. And I like it's it's sort of the Joker problem in The Dark Knight that like if he kills all the guys who work with him on uh, his jobs, how does he keep hiring guys? <laughs> <laughs> I'm just imagining the Joker like looking at his Indeed ad and getting no replies and being like, nobody wants to work anymore. You put one bomb in one guy. So the, the, Asahina is is worried. He's like, this oh, yeah. is this is not cool. This is probably not a good thing to do. I I sort of see how maybe we're not being the right uh we're we're not taking the right path here and then they open up the plans and find that the my pet is like oh it's called the my pet it's like it's the fucking pioneer <laughs> it is exactly the pioneer like <laughs> they copied their homework completely <laughs> yeah yeah oh you like, got played again when when Mat- matava came and told them it's like oh they're they're starting a new they they've got a new model in the works and and this is right after they did the thing with the fake out plans and all of that stuff I'm like huh oh, i wonder what that could be and it's they <laughs> they stole the plans and they're it's like yeah put it in production whatever <laughs> <laughs> well we, we can't just not produce the car now let's put it in and uh We'll, um, if we can't beat him by having a better car, we'll beat him by having the same car at a better price. Well, I like, I think it's really funny to kind of consider this movie from the other side of it. Once it, like, I, I, once you know the whole scope of everything that goes on, it's really funny to kind of see it from Malatari's perspective, where at the beginning of a movie of this whole plot, he stole the plan successfully. And like, yeah. Uh, yeah, th- this looks like a pretty good card. Let's uh, put it into production and we'll just uh, hold our cards close to the chest and we won't announce a price until they do. And uh, when they announce their price, we'll announce a lower price and we'll just shaft them completely out of business. And, uh, you know, we'll we'll have a few dirty tricks layered in there just in case. You know, we'll keep spying on them. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but I, at no point is there any drama on their side. They, they're just like holding all the aces and th- these guys just never know it. Mm-hmm. So, is it uh, is it here that Asahina goes up to his girlfriend again, or is that later still? It's still a little bit later, because uh, okay. 
first they they go to the 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 board of directors and Anna does like okay the spy can only be one of the seven people in this room <laughs> right because <laughs> uh, we are the only people who had access to the design in full mm-hmm. oh yeah right it's like it was kept in this locker here yeah nobody else had access to it it's only people right here so one of you is the spy and everyone's like well it's not me <laughs> uh, i'm too uh timid and uh uh scared and stuff to be a spy that's uh i can only be the red herring and and he is too yeah, yeah shimamoto well the the other the actual spy keeps blaming it on him and keeps making it look like it's him. He's really good at it. He's like, I, I feel this like this guy. Poor Shimamoto fuck. Yeah, I, I feel like he marked himself for death here. Yeah, <laughs> like basically. Not actual death, but like career suicide. He's like, oh, I, uh, it's, it's like he did the Mark Wahlberg thing that I referenced last week. The, oh, I, I definitely wouldn't uh, betray the company. Even though he's, like, completely <laughs> sincere, he looks so insincere. He's, like, just flop sweat. Ridiculous. And, like, okay, yeah. uh, I'll keep in mind that you said that, Shimamoto. Yeah, yeah. And then, meanwhile, the real spy's like, hey, this guy seems like a good patsy to pin everything on. Yeah. And they 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 decide like okay we're gonna start production anyway, uh, we'll we'll just we'll we'll make we'll make it a pricing thing you know we'll we'll yeah. undersell them and then uh, you know we'll we'll just walk away with it it'll be great. We just yeah. need to steal their price before. Find out what their price <laughs> is so that we can have a lower one. How much does the car cost to make? Uh, Nine hundred and forty thousand yen. Okay, so we'll. For now, we'll say that it's going to be 1.15 million yen, but we'll see what they do. Yeah, and and they have this whole pricing plan with like 11 different ads prepared ahead of time, and like they they've gone to uh, the director uh, at the hotel to to like go over this with him. It's Onoda and um, Oguri. And then Asahina is like lurking around the corridors and he discovers the head nurse spying on them. Oh, yeah, she's uh, she's bugged the hospital room and uh, she's writing down like she's writing down what they're all saying and stuff. Mm-hmm. And she's like. OK, I, I admit it. Uh, it. It was one of it was someone on your uh, staff who told me to do it, though, uh, is this Shimamoto guy. Uh, he said he was the executive secretary and they like march her out into the hall and Shimamoto is just asleep on a bench. It's like, yeah, it's that guy who's napping. It's that napping guy. And they're like, okay, well, we're not going to ever say anything to him about it. We'll just transfer him quietly uh, to save face, even though uh, this, this poor guy has just been shafted out of his good job. <laughs> yeah. To uh, what, what I understand is a really shitty job with a lot of a uh, lot of out of town travel. A lot of go uh, driving around, and he hates it a lot. And yeah. he'll be very pissed off at them when they go after him later, and still think he's the spy. Um, uh, yeah, because you know Somehow. there's a lot of lot of evidence continued to be planted about him. Hmm. Uh, so yeah, they they set their tentative 1.15 million yen price, pending discovery of Yamato's price. Yeah. And uh, 
their uh, their their guy Matoba, uh, he he found the bathroom across from Yamato's conference room that they can like uh, spy into, but like they can't plant any microphones. They can just videotape or yeah. use binoculars to watch them. Yeah, they're talking about it. Like, can't we plant a microphone in that vase? It's like, how are we going to get in there? Yeah, and these guys are all military. These are all ex-military dudes who run this company. Like, yeah. they're going to pick up on this. Yeah. Uh, and they they do tape it. They they videotape the big Yamato pricing meeting, and they hire a lip reader. <laughs> this is so good. <laughs> <laughs> and like it's this very slow roll where they they learn first yamato's like so we know that tiger's price for the pioneer is going to be 1.5 million and they're like god damn it how do they know that <laughs> <laughs> yeah ogre is like like i, uh, I don't know how, how do you how do they know that i i don't know sir it, it's like him just face palm like just Classes down, rubbing the bridge of his nose type things. Like, you have this whole dirty tricks department. What have you been doing? <laughs> it's like, I, I, I don't, I don't understand, sir. And it's like, so here's the thing: the my pet, it's going to be one million plus X, and we're not going to tell you what X is until the night before it goes on sale, just in <laughs> case of spies. And I, I'm just imagining him like. Yeah, just in case of spies, and then he looks directly into the camera that's across the across right? the street. Yeah, wink, sparkle on his like on his smile. <laughs> Woo! That's ah, a cat. I yeah, know. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so Oguri just chews out Onoda about it. It's like you you blew it. Are are you kidding me? That you have this department. What have you guys been doing? This is the complete failure. He's like, okay, okay, fine. Oh, yeah, that, that's one thing. He always said, at least at the beginning, every time there was a setback, he's like, my guys haven't failed. It's just that there's a spy. My guys haven't failed. It's just this happened, and we failed to stop it. But we didn't fail. Yeah, whereas here, he's kind of at the last rope. So okay. he talks to Asahina to talk to Masako to seduce Mautari and steal the price envelope from his briefcase. So here's where he literally says to her, like, I want you to sleep with Mawatari. Yeah, and it, it definitely has the connotation when they first show up. It's like, so what do you want? That they haven't seen each other in a while. And that, like, yeah. she was offended by just the spying. So it's amazing that he has the temerity to come to her with this. Yeah, and she says, okay, well, if I do this, our marriage, our relationship, it's all over. I'm, I'll do it, but you have to, th but only if you're going to throw all of this away. And he's like, no, I, I still love you. I do want to marry you, but like, I'm desperate. This is going to kill the company and the company matters. Like he hasn't quite gotten over that hump. And she's like, all right, do I have to teach you it this hard? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, and she goes to Mautari, and he gives her, like, this ring that was going to be for his daughter, and it's uh... like, oh, yeah, this, this, is, this belonged to Manchurian royalty. Uh, and they have rough sex. Uh, it's it's uh, 
clearly unpleasant and like yeah he, he, he apologizes, apologizes afterwards. for being too rough it's like but this is just how we did it in the army uh like you know call back to uh scorpion in this in the previous one oh yeah the the, the manchurian war uh veteran guy in that uh had oh. had a similar uh frame of mind oh yeah right he was one of the guys in the bus wasn't he yeah, he was the one who they all they uh, put the gun in his crotch and told him to shout bonsai. <laughs> right. <laughs> so he yeah. goes to take a bath, and she's like, uh, "I'm shy. I don't want to go with you." And she locates the envelope. Yeah. So she goes to Asahina. Yeah, she throws the purse in his like at his face, mm-hmm. and she's got like this death this look of death in her eyes and he's like how did it go <laughs> he's like oh you want me to get in the crate baby uh, like, yes. and, and she like pulls a lipstick out of her purse and writes x equals eight on his pillow slaps him gives him the ring it's like fuck you i'm out of here <laughs> yeah yeah and then Later, Onoda's like, oh, man, we should give the ring back to Mawatari. It would be hilarious. Uh, it would disappoint him in two different ways. Wouldn't that be hilarious, dude? He's like, oh, I hate you so much right now. <laughs> yeah. He's like, I ruined my entire future for this. Like, like, yeah, but it'll be worth it. If this movie were made in, in like 2012, it's a Vince Vaughn Owen Wilson comedy. As these oh two guys, God. you know? Yeah. Yeah. Vince, Vince Vaughn as uh, Onoda, uh, Owen Wilson as Asahina. And, yeah, Onoda's like, all like, yeah, this is great. This is awesome. I don't know about this, man. And so they they, they have their, their meeting. They're like, okay, we've got the price. So we'll just do it this much less. We're pricing the Pioneer at... 990,000 yen. So we're undercutting them. Uh, They're going to make no money off of this car because it was 940,000. Like, it's <sighs> it's enough. They they know, like, this actually cuts their margins a lot thinner than they originally wanted, but this does still put them out on top. And, like, we, we see the two ads go out right next to each other, and Tiger has got the lower price, and their sales start out really strong at first. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, everything's going great. They're producing the car. Um, we we actually have like shots in the factory of them making it. It's pretty cool. Mm-hmm. And then Mataba comes running in to tell Anada about, oh, God, there's been an accident. An accident? Uh, how could any of these how could any of these cars break down? They've only just been made. We, the, the first one has just gotten on the, the road. It's like, yeah, it was that one. It got hit by a train. <laughs> yeah, the car broke down on the train tracks and got smoked, but thankfully the guy's okay. I don't care about the guy. It had to have been his fault. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it must have been a driver error. It must have. I, I just imagine, again, in the, the Vince Von Owen Wilson version of this with, like, the pioneer one just got hit by a train it's like uh all-star by uh smash mouth just starts on the soundtrack you know (laughs) wow uh 
so yeah, they, they go to the crash and they're like, well, there's obviously nothing wrong with the car. This had to be a driver error, which on the one hand, we've heard them say this about that time. It's like, okay, there was just this one little problem, but uh, in this case, they are correct. <laughs> well, yes. They it takes a while to prove in this it. Case, but it, yeah. Yeah. So we've got the driver, uh, Yoshino, who's the owner of a lumber company. He's really well respected. He also has bought the number one car of two other uh, things that have come out. Um, I, I don't know, presumably really nice cars. Yeah, he, he's, he's something of a collector. He's post-war Japan's Jay Leno. He likes to collect a bunch of uh, uh, limited cars. And he maintains that, like, no, this was not an error. I'd driven it for 18 miles and it broke down. And I'm going to sue and I'm going to start a whole smear campaign. <laughs> and, and, and he does. He, he, <laughs> he, he puts the car, the wrecked car, upside down on a flatbed truck and he drives around Japan with it with a banner calling it a murder weapon on wheels while he rants through a loudspeaker about them. <laughs> yep, and he parks himself right in front of the Tiger head office. How does the head of a lumber company have this much time to devote to this? Um, Simple. He just says to the guy under him, if yeah, you handle so. the lumber company, you'll make head of the lumber company one day. <laughs> I've just got this one thing to take care of. Yeah, I just got this one last thing to do before I retire in disgrace for doing this thing. Because uh, Onoda Media is like, well, this is a Yamato plot. It has to be. I uh, if, if my Dirty Tricks campaign were better, I would have figured it out already. I'm sorry. Yeah, it's like, this is too over the top. <clears throat> now we know it's a it's Mamatari's thing, probably. Yeah, and they, they look into Yoshino and it's like, okay, he worked under, or he, he was under Mawatari in the army. He was in the Manchurian War with him. Yeah. And they're like, okay, well, who approved purchase of the car? And they look into it like, it was Shimamoto. That son of a bitch. Let's go rough him up. <laughs> yeah, so, which is literally what they do. It's like... Yeah. They show up in the apartment. Shimamoto has no idea why they're so mad at him. He's drunk. He's pissed at them. <laughs> yeah, he's like, he, he, yeah, it's like they're like drinking so early. It's like, you've got me doing this shitty job out in the middle of nowhere, transferring me without telling me why or anything. The hell am I supposed to do? Not get drunk all the time? Yeah, and we know that this is out of character for him, that he's this really timid guy because he's already talked about that. Like, he is awkward in this sort of situation. So, we know he's probably pretty drunk and they start slapping him around and they're like, you spy, you spy bastard. It's like, what is going on? I don't even know what you're talking about. And they're like, you're a bad actor. You're, you're not, you're, you're definitely a spy. It's like, let's go talk to that nurse. We're going to take you to the nurse. Yeah. So the nurse is like, yeah, it was definitely him. And she's like, and Shimamoto's like, what the? I've never even seen you in my life. <laughs> it's like, I cannot believe this. And she is totally not intimidated. She stays cool as a cucumber the whole way. She's been doing this for years. Like, th oh, this yeah. is like her side hustle. <laughs> I wonder how many other people she's been doing this kind of thing for besides I mean, just this right now. 
I figure there's got to be a few. She seems like she's in the same business as uh, Matoba and his girlfriend. Yeah, I wonder if he, he's also I wonder if she's like her whole thing is just getting dirt on everybody, like just happens to have dirt on Yoshino and Mawatari, but just ha- nobody's paid her enough to use it. Yeah, because ultimately she it, it is totally just Anna does like, all right, well, I'll give you 500,000 yen. It's like, all right, that's more than he paid me. So let's go see Hiraki. He was the spy all along. <laughs> <laughs> Yep. And they this one is where he pulls his detective shit like so hard. Oh yeah. He's he goes to Hiraki and is like, okay, we're gonna make you the head of planning. Just uh, come on in here and we'll we'll sign it in this uh uh windowless interrogation room for no apparent reason. Well why does our car company have a windowless interrogation room? Don't worry about that. Well you know, so spies can't see in there. Uh <laughs> oh well okay, yes. And but also, the nurse, don't worry about that. Yeah, don't worry about that. Uh, and and the nurse is sitting there facing away. They, he locks the door, and it's like, okay, yeah, Haraki, you're the one who hired me. And, and he he protests at first. It's like, dude, just admit it. Come on, you're you're bought. I, I I he he gave me more money than you gave me, so our deal's over. That's how this works in this business. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Which Anada should be thinking about. <laughs> he should be thinking about it, but he isn't thinking about it. No. <laughs> he he will pretty soon, maybe. It stops at him, usually, he thinks. Uh, and so it turns out that Matoba was blackmailing him and had photos of him cheating on his wife, who is the boss's daughter. So that's a pretty yep. big deal. That, that yep. kind of ruins him. And he was cheating with Katsuko, which is Matoba's blackmail partner and girlfriend. <laughs> yeah, so he was set up right from the beginning. They're like, they're Boris and Natasha. They're just purely in the spy business, working both sides. <laughs> mm-hmm. And I was like, like I kind of was like, I think it'd be hilarious if it ends up being their paid informant who's who's the spy. Right, and Matoba it kind of is. Kind of is. He was working both sides. They like. They they just each work one side of each thing and then probably share whatever because just for fun, mm-hmm. it's all business. Oh yeah, and so like they they know fine yeah I, I admit it I was the spy all along but I had nothing to do with Yoshino. Uh, so Anada starts hitting him. <laughs> yeah, it's like, why won't you confess about the Yoshino thing? And it, like he he does have the the correct point that he won't do it because uh, the Yoshino thing is something like spying is not illegal, but uh, blocking a railroad track with a car is a crime. Right, right. Uh, so being a part of that is an actual like involvement in a real crime. Mm-hmm. Uh, so Anada uh, tries to appeal to his uh, company spirit, like it's for the good of the pioneer. And he says, trust me, I don't tell lies. <laughs> yeah, and he's like, we've known each other forever. We, Oh, no, wait, no, that's not him. That's – yeah, he's basically like, you can trust me. Heck, if you tell me, I just want to know for the sake of the pioneer. I won't tell the cops or anything like that. Just, just tell me so that I know and I can put this whole thing to bed. He's like, okay, okay. 
and and he he finally admits that it was Maotari's idea and that he wanted him to sell car number one to Yoshino and uh, I, I admit it and then <laughs> Anada opens up all the doors and like you know Chris Matthews comes in and you know there's the the whole team why don't you take a seat over there yeah uh, there, there's a whole bunch of people who visibly have recording equipment on them. It's the whole Dirty Tricks team. Yeah, and uh, the company lawyer. Yeah. And it's like, what, what, who, what's this? And it's like, well, we need some evidence against Yoshino. It's like, you you told me you wouldn't tell anyone. It's like, yeah, I, I was lying. <laughs> I was lying about that, you see. <laughs> yeah. And, and you know, like, he, he freaks out. He's like, well, wh- what if I kill myself? What then? Uh, and Anna's like, well, f- die if you want. I don't care. I mean, I've I got what I needed. Don't you get this? Yeah, he's like, I'm just going to, I'm going to fuck you over no matter what happens for the sake of the company. Yeah, and he's like, not oh, even well, sorry, I mean, not I, sorry. Yeah, and he's like, when when he threatens to kill himself, he's also like, uh, he's like, well, I can see why that would be. Uh, sort of enviable option there i suppose yeah i mean you know it would save face for your family you wouldn't have to go to jail i mean that does seem like a pretty good idea uh and so they have a fight and then hiraki jumps out the window to his death and it's an incredible dummy fall it's a real good one it's like you see like the splatter too it's it's got heavy weight to it and like they filled it up with the right amount of fluid so it's not like a splash that's absurd it's just like oh yeah that that feels like a body hit the concrete from mm-hmm. like six floors up that that is it, it's it's very well done but it's still like that's a good dummy fall like <laughs> and asahina at this point is like you know you basically just murdered that man and he's like no nah, i mean those are just standard police tactics you're not a fucking cop, though. <laughs> so. Yeah, Asahina's like, are are we policemen? Do we have to kill to protect the company? <laughs> and and like Anada just totally doesn't get it. He's like, I mean, I guess. I mean, it's the company, right? What? Don't don't you care? <laughs> yeah, and he's like, yeah, okay, yeah. So here's where he's like, well, our our well, what is a company? What's a car? What's money? Are these things all more important than human life? Yeah, I, yeah, and I, I, I feel like this is the most salient point of the film because it's still so true to this day that it's like this poisonous nature of corporate culture in that, like, not only they want to be police, they want to be bad police. Like, they idolize police corruption as the yeah. idea. Like, it's not just policing and wanting to be police. They specifically want to be the really corrupt police at all times. It's like, man... I just want to get people in a windowless locked room and beat the shit out of them until they tell me stuff. Yeah. Is that so wrong? And on a, and uh, Asahina is like, you've lost because you've become just as dirty as Mawatari. Like you, you've you've morally lost uh, by going this way. And Anada, this is the other like perfect line uh, other after the 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 company one. It's like, yeah. look. You can't get hung up on morals. You'll just feel remorse. <laughs> I mean, if if you believe in morality, you'll you'll feel bad about doing bad things. Why would you do that? Yeah. So Asahina's like, you know what? 
fuck this shit. I quit. Yeah, he finally stands up for himself. He resigns. Uh, and, and we get just a, a bunch of headlines. The trial does go forward. Mawatari is forced to resign. And Pioneer sales go great. They they won. Yep. They, and I'm just imagining Onoda's like, what is Asahina talking about? I lost. I'm yeah. not in jail. How, how did I lose? I'm as dirty as him, but I'm not in jail, which means I'm technically ahead of him. Yeah, I, I'm pretty sure it's fake news. Yeah. Uh, so... Asahina goes to Masako and they make up like she does appreciate that he has finally learned his lesson. It took it's a like, lot. Yeah, it's like, OK, I can marry you now because you're the man you were before. Yeah, you you've gotten out of this shitty job and I can understand like you have learned something from this. Mm-hmm. I can tell. Uh, and the great final line when she's like, it is a pretty nice car, though. It's like that car's dirty. As black as pitch. Yep. The end. Yeah, and closing shot over Pioneer, the 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 grill of a car. Yeah, the the nameplate coming as it drives. Yep. The end. Uh, yeah, uh, really intense. <laughs> yeah. Um. Yeah, kind of a corporate not a downer ending, but uh, I mean, the one guy got out, I guess. It's morally gray. Like, it's a mm-hmm. movie where there are no heroes and everybody is compromised because everybody is sort of corrupt and sort yeah. of corrupted by the business. Uh-huh. Uh, which is sort of the theme of the whole Black series. Yeah, now I'm curious about uh, the other one uh, that's Black actually Report. also on the disc. Yes, Black Report is the next one that came out in the series and is by the same director. It's a police procedural uh, oh. And trial movie where uh, like uh, an executive has been murdered and it's sort of like getting all of the different people in to testify in the trial. Uh, so, yeah, I, I hear it's also pretty good. Uh, so that's actually a question. Uh, do we replace this with that one or next up is Horrors of Malformed Men, uh, hmm. which is uh, this really here. Let me look it up real quick again uh this is another japanese movie and it's uh this medical student who has no memory of his past uh and he's in this insane asylum but he's totally sane so he escapes and finds himself framed for the murder of a circus girl and then he finds a photo of a guy who recently died who looks exactly like him so he pretends to be the resurrected guy interesting uh and then he remembers these memories of this island full of uh strange disfigured men and stuff uh yeah it's it sounds really crazy i have not seen it so i i don't know a very psychedelic late 60s japan interesting um yeah, let's shuffle the Black Series in and uh, have that one be the next one in that stack. All right, I will that, add uh, that. Yeah, Malformed, yeah. Horrors yeah. of Malformed Men. Uh, so, yeah. It sounds like I've been playing Elden Ring, and that just sounds like an Elden Ring message. Yeah. Uh, there's a messaging system in the game. If you know, you know. So, any last thoughts on uh, Black Test Car? Before we proceed to part two. Um, 
yeah, I think I'm going to go out and buy a Pioneer. Oh, yeah. So, like, yeah, they're the exact same goddamn car. <laughs> Pioneer <laughs> versus My Pet, right? Uh, my, my Pet's a weird name. My Pet is a weird name. But, yeah, that, that seems like the 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 base joke of the whole thing, ultimately, is that they're just competing to sell the same car to people at different prices. Yeah, that's a, that's what it ends up boiling down to in the end. Like that that seems like such a joke on capitalism especially that cuz just the general idea that it's supposed to be about competition breeding variety instead of <clears throat> yeah, breeding corporate spies who just want to steal secrets and just get it out at a slightly different price. Well, they did want to get out an original thing at first, but they didn't, at first, <laughs> they didn't like think, well, OK, they've got the same thing as us. Let's alter our thing and make it better. This is a chance to go back to the drawing board, maybe come up with a better car. Eh, none of that. No, we just need to beat them. Beat them, yeah. though. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, that's what it's really about. It's not about providing a better experience for the consumer. Uh, consumer. I mean, if, if there's a problem, it's a consumer error. Oh, yeah, I'll, absolutely. <laughs> Although, 100%. to be fair. To be fair, that's that's honestly usually true. <laughs> well, yeah, but sometimes like, it's not. Like the the most misunderstood phrase in all of history has to be the customer is always right because it's half of the phrase. Yeah, that's not even how it, how the whole thing goes. It's the customer is always right in matters of taste. It's like right. yeah. if the customer wants to buy like a stupid green alligator skin pants. They're allowed to buy it, but like, yes, sir, you look great in those. Uh, but uh, yeah, if it's something else, they're not right if they're crazy. Yeah, and it's just, it's just turned the whole consumer culture upside down because now every customer is like, I can say anything and it'll be correct. I, I personally, at base, blame American Idol for just introduction of the instant gratification stand culture of just be like you get to call in and say that you're the one you know, like this person goes home or this person stays and because like again this ties into that uh clay aiken lady oh, right. sales make or break an album uh just the the you you need to be personally involved in every level of capitalism uh yeah we couldn't get the statue of um whatever president it was because we were short the exact amount of money that marge's bake sale brings in so we have to get the president or the statue of jimmy carter <laughs> yeah, this is greatest, greatest monster. monster oh that, that's such a weird one because jimmy carter is has uh been the most lovely human being <laughs> <laughs> There's uh, definitely worse presidents, but yeah, uh, he, he's the Habitat for Humanity guy. He's a real sweetheart. Yeah. Uh, anyway, uh, uh, we'll we'll head on into part two. All right. And we're back for part two, where we're talking about Stingray, another car of a different sort. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> a car. This one is a car chase movie. It's. Yeah, just ninety-five. About ninety percent of the movie is a car chase. Yeah, and kind of quasi a exploitation movie. Uh, yeah, like I, they're, I keep they're going not... back and forth on how how self-aware this movie actually is. 
Yeah, because like the characters are dumb and they're self-consciously dumb to differing degrees, but mm-hmm. like they're all quite cartoonishly dumb. Uh, yeah. So, yeah uh, 1978 film directed by Richard Taylor. Okay, uh, and uh, strange. So, so this is uh, notably we we're watching the this is from Dark Force, I believe. Uh, their Blu-ray of it, which is a cut discovered in the director's garage, <laughs> <laughs> uh, that had the original uh, brutal violence that was cut for the other theatrical run. So, like, I can imagine this movie without the brutal violence, but uh, it really adds a flavor to it. This movie, I can imagine it. Yeah, I can imagine it without the brutal violence, but I would not remember anything about it because it really just mood whiplashes the whole thing. But it it does it in a weird way because it begins with brutal violence. So you think that that's what it's setting the tone for. And then most of the movie is just, hey, hey. Gotta get away. Something, 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 <laughs> and I'm in a stingray. Hey, yeah. Hey, gotta very, get... Like goofy, goofy stuff. Like all of the characters are very silly. Uh, as we were talking about, they all kind of feel Seinfeldy. Like this sort of feels like a Seinfeld and the gang caper. Yeah, like like somewhere in between Seinfeld and the It's Always Sunny gang. Like the dynamic between the four main criminals really reminds me of Seinfeld because you've got your, you've got Lonigan, the, the straight man. He's the uh, Jerry for sure. Yep. He's although 100% he, the Jerry. Although he is doing the serenity now thing. He is. Uh, he, he's got his own. It's a, uh, I see calm. I see calm. I see calm children. I see calm. Which he drops about halfway through the movie when it's clearly not not working out uh, yeah these, these people the are too stupid one. to be calmed yeah, yeah he is the smart one and he's, he's probably one, my favorite he's, character oh for sure uh he is surrounded by idiots because everyone else in this movie it feels like except for him and the girl hitchhiker that the kids pick up later everyone else seems like they must always do they're following some rule where they have to always do the stupidest thing imaginable every single time yeah, like when they, them picking up Hitchhiker Girl, she's super OP. Like it's the first good decision that one dude ever makes. And it shouldn't have been a good decision. Like, like they even call him out on it. It's like, you're picking up a Hitchhiker now? Yeah, it's incredible how it works out for him. Like it pays off like a slot machine. But oh, yeah. uh, uh, until that point, there is no one who is even remotely capable as a human being other than Lonigan. And I kind of love Lonigan for it because he spends so much time in the movie explaining to people around him exactly what they're seeing is happening. <laughs> and they're <laughs> yeah, not like, understanding it. And it's like, this is what's happening, you idiot. <laughs> yeah, like there's one. It's like, uh, what are they doing in there? What does the sign say? Uh, it says auto paint shop. They're getting the car painted, you dumbass. The pain in the car, Tony. Uh, and, and they they do it right at the start. He he has the, like that exact same exchange. He's like, oh, they're 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 going back inside. Uh, who knows what's going on? It's like they're buying the car, Tony. <laughs> <laughs> this is the process of buying the car. They're going into sun. They're buying the goddamn car. Maybe they're not actually buying it. We just saw I, him sign a paper. 
like I feel like this is exactly the exchange that leads to his first icy calm, icy calm. <laughs> serenity <laughs> well, now, serenity now. <laughs> well, he, no, he even at the very beginning, uh, when oh, they're yeah, waiting no, for I the think drug it's his deal, literal first line, <laughs> icy calm. Uh, oh yeah, the drug deal, right? Yeah, they yeah. Shoot the, those guys in the face. Yeah. So the so it starts out. Um, this is the horrific act of violence that I thought was going to set the stage for the whole thing, but it turns out only 25% or so of the chase scenes. So 75% of them end up with like, aw, shucks, the car overheated, or ooh, aw, I hate that stingray, like a, like doing the Yosemite, like nobody actually does it, but you can just imagine them doing the Yosemite Sam thing of throwing their hat on the ground and stepping on it, or or who else did that, like Boss Hog or something? Boss Hog for sure. It feels like wacky races from uh, It really does. But yeah. then 25% of the, the chase scenes end with, horrific violence just someone getting got very gruesomely like most of the main characters get killed off in this fashion all of the bad guys get it hard Uh, and it's uh every time it's kind of out of nowhere and every time it kind of slaps you in the face because it's so goofy around those things Mm-hmm. So, yeah, the drug deal seat is actually pretty dark where we've got uh, Lonigan and uh, his buddy, Tony, who I for some reason, I just keep referring to him as Greaseball because that's the first thing anybody else calls him before we learn his name is Tony. Right. And it fits. Uh, Greaseball is George Costanza. He's Costanza-esque, even though uh, Jerry's got his Serenity Now thing. Yeah, but he Greaseball is like he fucks everything up. And he's a patsy. He and he's always willing to just like go along. Ultimately, like he he's he he's following every step of the way. Like when uh, when Lonigan finally realizes like this broad is doing a Joker on us. She's gonna just kill all of us, you know, as she as we become uh, unnecessary. Uh, and he's like, oh yeah, I guess I'll uh, go with you. But he he leaves in his back pocket to just like fold and go with her again later yeah yeah so yeah we've got the drug deal and uh tony is fucking around with his gun he's like like nervously playing with it and lonigan's like quit fucking around with the safety i don't trust you with this thing they'll be here it's gonna be fine i trust them to show up more than i trust you with that gun which again a very jerry and george cut kind of exchange if they were like going to do a drug deal <laughs> <laughs> what's the deal with all with the drugs because it's a drug it, i get you i get yeah, it <laughs> yeah yeah so so the guys come up and they, they look like they look like mafia type guys they look like dangerous um and lonigan's like ha, this is just like in the movies and without skipping a beat the the other guy's like do you got the stuff <laughs> <laughs> and Lonigan's like, okay, fine, I'll play along. Where's the money? <laughs> so, so they hand him the briefcase full of money, and Tony's checking through it, and he finds a very obvious homing device planted in it. It's so obvious. It's this huge blinking red knob. Yep, and it's just like under one of the bundles. Um, like, what the fuck? Are you kidding me? <laughs> <laughs> like. Like, were they hoping he wasn't going to count the money and make sure it's all there? 
I mean, I think, I think they even literally say to them, like, you can count it and make sure it's all there. And it's like, thanks, I think we'll do exactly that. So wasting absolutely no time, Lonigan shoots one of them in the head and Tony shoots the other one. And uh, they keep the drugs and the money and get the fuck out of there. So, so they're, they're passing the used car lot. Yep. Lonigan's like, we have to ditch all of this shit because that's a homing device. Mm-hmm. So... <laughs> So it's dark. It's nighttime. Tony just finds a car and shoves his his uh, dirty jacket with the money and the drugs into it, uh, into the back, like behind the back seat. Right. And the car lock guy comes out. He's like, hello, someone there. And but they're long gone. So he goes up to the the stingray, which is what they hit the stuff in. And he just pulls up the he puts like the sold sign had fallen off, so he just puts it back on the thing. It's like, wah, wah, wah. Stingray, main character of the film. It is. Uh, so, yep. yeah, so the, these guys, they, they've they've stuffed all of the illicit goods in the trunk of this car. So uh, it, it's pretty good in how easily it establishes exactly what there is at stake for them. That, like, yep. all of the money and all of the drugs are in that coat because we're going to see that coat just travel around for the rest of the movie but also that it has this homing beacon in it that for them it means that they are going to potentially be able to follow it once they find out who was following the beacon to begin with yeah so uh yeah we (laughs) we cut to a and w where they're having they're having a seinfeld discussion about the speed of the food service (laughs) what's the deal with slow service and freaking a and w well i guess a and w at those days was like nice it was kind of a sit-down restaurant and it sort of is the fast food equivalent of a sit-down restaurant now like it's uh it really caters to sort of the car culture crowd yeah well they they started out as like a drive-in which doesn't even really exist anymore yeah i I remember the a and w i went to as a kid was still a drive-in uh in in downtown victoria on slimalt i've never (laughs) been to one uh to a drive-in of any kind like a drive-in restaurant actually right uh i mean it was weird it was kind of cool i mean i would just walk over because uh my grandma had an apartment building in the area (laughs) (laughs) yeah so uh they get they get arrested by cops but they don't seem to be too bothered by it and uh we cut to them in the courtroom where the the head lieutenant says to the guy like you're lucky, Lonigan. We found absolutely no evidence whatsoever on you or in your car. And But you know that if we did, you'd be a permanent guest in the big house. And Lonigan <laughs> and Tony just shit themselves laughing. It's like, big house? He said big house. <laughs> it's, it's, it's weird because there's this layer of self-awareness to mostly just Lonigan but everyone else is too stupid for words. Like they're unable to to contemplate the reality surrounding them. It's like Lonigan is Deadpool. He's the only yeah, one who's aware he, he's in a, a a movie full of idiots. Yeah, but he has to go along with the stupid shit anyway because the rules of this movie verse is everyone must do the stupidest thing, 
he just doesn't do it by choice. It's in the script. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, usually it's Abigail making him do shit, who we're actually right. about to meet right away. Elaine Bennis. She is what you would get if you gave an assault rifle to Elaine. Yeah, like a, a, a very unhinged Elaine who is dressed as a nun uh, to, yeah, she... for some reason, like a nun carting an AK-47 who she figures that'll be less conspicuous as an escaped uh, mental patient at this point, I believe. is, is I, I think, I'm not really sure. She is wanted because we meet her. Uh, she's wanted for murder as well. Yes. Yeah. She's standing right next to her wanted poster. Right. And, uh, and she looks at it and she sort of contemplates it like, hmm, I don't know. This, yeah. this nun thing is working for sure. <laughs> Yeah, so um, so they get uh, yeah they they have to be uh, Lonigan and Tony get released of course, and Abigail's there to pick her up. Is like she's like loudly like, did you get the money? Did you get the drugs? And Lonigan's like, what the fuck? We're in the courthouse. We're we're like right here where the police are. Are you kidding me? Um, yeah, so they get in an elevator and. She smokes this big ass cigarette, and uh, th- this dude is like check. I, I don't quite get if he's checking her out or what. I mean, but it doesn't. Yeah, but she, this is her chance. You know, she has to be like, this is the chance to show that this this lady's badass. So she's got a cigarette. She's like, what are you looking at, you asshole? And yeah, uh, so they they get up, they get to the car. And Lonigan sees the sees the cops in the mirror and and all that st- and yeah, they uh, yeah basically him. following him yeah because they have to now they have to go back to the car lot to get their money right so yeah here's a short little car chase where uh, they they launch themselves off of a hill and then the the cop launches himself off of a hill and. Uh, and his car overheats, and he's like, oh, that lawn again. Well, like, is this one of the many times that he's on the radio to them, and they're like, just don't follow them. You're you're not going to be able to do it. You're not capable of chasing them, so just leave it to the other guys. Don't chase them. And he's like, no, no, I got this, I got this. And then he screws it up. Um, Yeah, basically. Because it's something he does several times. This, may, this time, maybe he is justified in giving it a shot. And then all of them from this point forward, everyone's like, no, you, you tried this and it didn't work. You need to stop trying this. Yeah. So now they're getting the gang back together. Uh, Greaseball goes up to, is recruiting a guy. I don't know his real name, but I, but because they only ever call him fat. So, and, he, and we got, and like, he, it's like this dirty ass apartment complex with uh trash piled to the ceiling of this garbage can and uh, Tony picks up what looks like a slice of pizza, like half-eaten pizza from the garbage can and starts eating it. And uh, sorry, you were going to say? Uh, I believe his name is Elmo? No. No, Elmo is one of the kids. Elmo is one of the guys, yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, Roscoe, that's what it is. Roscoe. That's right. But he He's called Fatso more than he's called Roscoe. Yeah, and he's like the Newman of the bunch. Nobody yeah, likes nobody, him. Nobody likes him. Um, I don't know why they recruited this guy. 
Well, it seems like it's Abigail's idea. Like, she's like, okay, we've got to go pick up Roscoe. And both of them are like, we don't want Roscoe. And he's like, no, no, he's part of the team. Uh, but she doesn't seem to... She doesn't like him either, though. Yeah, I, I mean, he's a guy to have around for, like, the shit to roll downhill to. <laughs> well, that's, that's basically what happens. He, he can be the first to die. <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah. gruesome, by the by the way, like when when oh god, he, gets he, it, he, he gets probably it dies the worst. the worst death. Oh, for sure, the worst. So they go back to the car lot, and here's here's where they're seeing the the kids buying the car, and I like that, like they're buying it, and Tony's all like, "Well, maybe they're not buying it," and Monica's like, "They're buying the car, you stupid piece of shit." God damn it, they're buying the car. Can't you see that? And like, she's in the nun outfit. She like keeps waving the gun around it's like will you <laughs> please for the love of god uh, you just need to follow them there is a tracker in there like we can figure this out yeah so the guys uh these are our two rich suburban white boys i, I assume they're rich and suburban uh, they just bought a freaking corvette stingray well it's uh, a used corvette stingray this, this is like a used car lot Oh yeah, that's true. I love the dealer, the car salesman's like, and also I got a Emery board with my name on it for you. You can have one too. It's a gift. Oh, wow, great. Keen. <laughs> he reminds me of uh, the the guy who rents Hunter Thompson and Doctor Gonzo the car at the beginning of Fear and Loathing. Oh yeah. You goddamn hippies. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Right. It's like, go on, I gave you two gallons of gas, now take her on out of here. And then they peel out, <laughs> like, and he's like, you hippies, like, what did you expect they were going to do? They're teenagers buying a sports car. Yeah, and he kind of was inviting it. He's like, yeah, really test her out. It's like, okay, dude. Uh, and yeah, uh, th- they they are chased down uh, by well, the guys. Well, first they're but... pulled over by cops. Yeah, because, you know, to, they're speeding. Because they're speeding. And the cop's like, all right, I'm going to call this in. We got a stingray. And here's where uh, Abigail's like, pull over. I'm going to shoot him. And Lonigan's like, no, those are cops. We can't fucking kill <laughs> cops. You know what's going to happen if we murder cops? And she just points the gun at him. And he's like, oh, I guess this is in the script, isn't it? <laughs> like, Elaine. <laughs> <laughs> so they, they do a horrific drive by on the cops oh, it's so brutal oh, they, it's brutal they it's, just it's quite shocking because like again you've had a good solid 15 minutes of very goofy very heightened kind of not realistic humor and yeah, like character yeah. interactions and then all of a sudden they do a drive-by and you just see bullet holes in this guy's head and it's like whoa yep <laughs> squibs but like, but the important thing is yeah sorry didn't mean to interrupt you but yeah like the important thing is the the cops as they were calling in the thing all they got all they got out was that it was a a red corvette stingray and before they died yeah yes so because they were checking to see if it was stolen yeah so our main cops of course uh think that the stingray is what lonigan's driving so they got like this apb going out for the stingray and it's all like uh and it's like, whatever you do, these guys are armed and dangerous. Do not attempt to apprehend them or s- yourself. And we've got Super Cop over here like, I'm going to attempt to apprehend them myself. We're like, stupid cop. Yeah. Uh, th- th- this is like, 
that, that's sort of a, an interesting sort of sidebar in this movie is that all of the cops are pretty incompetent. Oh yeah, the cops don't. The cops do not get a victory ever. They they just sort of fall upon things after they've happened, and they are never uh, like they, they're they're the Tiger Motors of this whole deal. Um, mm. And they're it, it's they're just completely incapable at all times because it, it is their failure. Like it's this one cop being so stupid uh, and attacking them that causes this whole thing. Cause they are smart enough at the beginning to be like, well, we can just go talk to a police officer and, and explain that it was someone performing a drive by. And obviously we don't have a bunch of assault weapons on us. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, their first, yeah, their first, the kid's first uh, plan does seem reasonable. It's like, Hey, we'll find a cop, flag him down and tell him what's really going on. But su- stupid cop over here is all like, all right. Show me what you learned in the police academy. These guys are cop killers, so you kill them too. And him and his partner immediately fire on the stingray. They just open fire on the one they're walking up. It's like, okay, we we we're, we want to explain. Yeah, uh, but <laughs> but the uh, the dumb partner just like is real bad at guns, and he pulls a um, I want to say Perez from the wire, and he just accidentally shoots that was the guy who shot the wall right and also shot uh well he shot a few things he shouldn't have shot but let's yeah so this guy shot the radio in his own cop car right yeah he he blows out the radio yeah and um i, I yeah i guess the the stingray is able to get away yeah uh, they they hop in the car and they take off and it's at this point that uh the stupid guy starts making pretty much all of the decisions and they're all bad decisions from this point forward. Oh yeah, Elmo uh Elmo takes the reins if he doesn't take the wheel. For me, I would say that Elmo is the chief villain in this movie and the most successful one. Um yeah, yeah. Uh because he screws them every step of the way. He's always making bad decisions. He keeps, like, hanging on to those drugs. And he, uh, he's, like, he hanging on to the... the other guys out of good decisions, or potentially good decisions? Yeah. Because, like, our, our Christopher Mitchum, our main guy, he's always, like, ah, I just feel like we can just go to them and explain. If we just talk to someone who had a brain in their head and wasn't just that weird cop, I, I feel El- like we can figure this out. <laughs> And Elmo's Elmo's like, like, you don't know the movie we're in. Nobody has a brain in their head. Especially not me. To be fair, he's kind of right there. Uh, But yeah, he's like, I I feel like our lives are over. Our previous lives are forfeit. So it's time to take, uh, or just like go on the run now. This is what we do. uh... This is our lives now. We're we're just going to start over in a new new country and like, or in a new state. Like, wow. Okay. (laughs) They are wanted for cop murder right so. now. Uh, yeah, so we get a scene of Lonigan visiting a tech guy uh, who he seems to have a pre- like some kind of previous uh, rapport with. Well, and he knows that he is he had to have been the most likely guy who, to have created this tracker. Yeah. So he's like saying he's he, yeah, he's interrogating him basically like, who did you give? who did you sell the tracker to? He like points the gun at him and he's like, Oh, and then he shoots a piece of equipment. And the guy's like, that was a $2,000 piece of equipment. Oh yeah. How much is that one worth? 
that one's worth fourteen hundred dollars. Boom. Yeah, you know, he he's doing the basic threatening thing. It's it's like a, a fish called Wando when the guy's eating the guy's fish. I haven't seen that. Yeah. Yeah. Overrated. <laughs> At least in my recollection, I probably uh, would get flack for that. Whatever. <laughs> All right. Um, I've never been yeah. a big fan, but we'll watch <laughs> it sometime. All right. Uh, yeah. So, so the guy basically immediately says, "Okay, it was a machine like this. I sold it to, you know, that drug guy. So that he didn't tell me what it was for. I don't know his name. It's uh, Smith. Yeah, that's it. And Lonigan's like, well, can I use that to track down the transmitter? And he just, like, does a little thing with a screwdriver. He's like, you can now. Mm-hmm. And Lonigan's like, oh, thanks. You were really helpful. And he takes the guy's glasses off and steps on him. A little extra button. Just to a show that bit. he is the bad guy. Even if he's the only rational human being in this movie. Mm-hmm. I mean, I guess Christopher Richam is uh, semi-rational, uh, except he's way too easily swayed by his irrational um, friend. Girl hitchhiker is rational. She is rational, but she won't show up until much later. She's, like, almost right at the end. Yeah. And basically, she's basically the deus ex machina that saves them from themselves. Yeah, well, like, she needs to balance out the the negative of Elmo. That, like, they, to get them to a place of uh, primary rationality instead of primary irrationality. Yeah, so um, so Elmo's new idea is, okay, let's not approach the cops directly because they're trigger-happy and will shoot us on sight. Fair. Let's call them over the phone and explain what's going on. And uh, and then Lonigan, now with the transmitter and his uh, – the bad guys drive this blue Chevelle, which is not supposed to be able to keep up with the Corvette, but it does anyway. Sometimes. Sometimes. It kind of keeps up. It it can never, like, overtake it. Although there is one point where it comes kind of close and then shenanigans happen. Because there... There's uh, a few points and then shenanigans happen. Well, I mean, and shenanigans happen is sort of the main plot of the movie, but uh, it's sort of... uh, It's Mario Kart rules, for one thing. Oh, yes! lagging behind has to catch up. But uh, also, um, they're better at cornering. The, the oh, dudes yeah, that's who right. drive the 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 stingray aren't very good at cornering. Yeah, yeah. Um, I kind of get the feeling that Lonigan's main thing is he's a wheel man, so like driving right. good is what he does. Yeah. More than more than like that's his role within this team. Which is he why would he's be the, the leader, chill but guy. nobody listens to him. Yeah, because he's the wheel man. So yeah, there's another chase because uh, Lonigan catches up to them. Uh, fun, like hillbilly music starts playing. Uh, they, they do a thing where like, there's this guy, uh, hanging up a a banner over a used car place and he's standing on a ladder and the, and the stingray (laughs) catches the banner on the car and, Mm -hmm. and then like knocks over the ladder and then like that, or no, it doesn't knock over the ladder, but it does take the banner and like. It's in front of their faces so that they can't see. And then uh, Abby's like saying to Lonigan, ladder. And Lonigan's like, I see it. And he, he smokes the ladder. Just goes right through it. Yeah. Yeah, it goes right through it. So the guy's like hanging off of a lamppost. 
And then the cops find him and they run over the ladder, but it fucks up their car. So they've got another overheated car with the smoke. And this is another one of those. Uh, oh, I'll get that lawn again. You know, throw the hat on the ground. Stamp, 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 stamp. Yeah. Yeah. No horrific but- violence this time. Right. I mean, that's the sort of law enforcement you get is it's a Buford, uh, Buford Tannen or whatever. Uh, the he, Like the the goofy cop in uh, the, a couple of the 80s Bond movies, the Roger Moore Bond movies. Um, doesn't ring a bell, but they they do definitely have that like the, the goofy cop. Like th- these are guys who might be chasing after Bugs Bunny. Yeah, it's it's very silly and and like they're they are always very blustery. Yeah, so so while they are trying to drive with a banner in their face uh, covering them up so they can't see, uh, they drive through this hippie show where they're playing the uh, the movie's theme song. The hey hey, gotta get away. Yeah. <laughs> And they just like drive right through the stage. And it's always this thing. Whenever they drive through something, the Chevelle always has to drive through it more and harder and destroy it even worse. So not can... unlike Bronson uh, in, in the car chase in. Uh, uh, in in Stonekiller. Um, Stonekillers. Yeah. Oh, uh, this movie would be over in 10 seconds, though, if Bronson was in any oh, role. Yeah. Yeah. It doesn't matter what role it is. Whatever it is, he just wins it. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah. He, he's, he is too rational to put up with the bullshit of any single character in this movie. Except yep. for the hitchhiker, who he probably really wouldn't give the time of day. She's more like that lady at the commune. Yeah. Yeah, so, so one of my favorite like visual gags is after they've... Uh, after they've thoroughly trashed the stage, the singer, who has, who's like a total who's like got a shirt that just says peace on it, pulls out a freaking handgun and starts shooting at them repeatedly. He he <laughs> empties the entire clip. I love this guy's face. Cause he's got just the most amazing scowl. Like he looks so bitter. Like he's just sucked on a lemon before he jumps off the stage and shoots at them with this peace shirt. Yeah. And like him pausing between some of the shots is like, and, and like re-aiming and like it's an, a long extended shot of him doing it. And it's so funny because it's just like so absurd and over the top. And just the look on his face, like how absolutely livid that his peace concert has been interrupted. <laughs> yeah, it's so it's so perfect. Uh, so at this point, Abby, like there's more shooting more shenanigans uh just more chase stuff and abby's like oh my nun costume is too itchy pull over and lonigan's like what the fuck we're in the middle of something here we're you you realize we're in a car chase presently and you wanted this money this this was your idea he's like yeah but i don't like wearing this thing anymore like i Told you in the first place not to wear this thing, Elaine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So she's God like, Lana again, stop. And he's like, Yes, ma'am. Yeah. Because so she's got she... the guns, and he knows yep. she'll use them. Oh. <laughs> yeah. He. She doesn't even need a reason. She'll just do it sometimes anyway. She likes killing dudes. It's her thing. So yeah, she stops and she gets changed out of her nun outfit. Very and... slowly. Very slowly, yes. 
Leisurely. Just... You you see Lonigan in the background being like, could you hurry it up, please? We're in a car chase presently. Yeah. Yeah, I can't I didn't write it down, but he does make a comment about how long she took. Yeah. And then he's like, ah, oh, well, you know what? They just bought it from the dealership. The, their car won't have that much gas. Smash cut to the two kids pushing the car into a gas station. Yeah. It's a, a small um, little rural out of the way uh, gas station that's just like a tiny little place. With yeah. Two pumps. Yeah. So uh, Elmo is going to go get a payphone and call the cops. And, or no, not Elmo. Al, the other one. Yeah. And Elmo. Uh, looks in the back of the car like he's sweating and he looks in the back of the car and just pulls out uh, Greaseball's dirty ass jacket. I can't imagine what that thing must smell like. And he starts like wiping his face with it. I'm like, dude, why are you suddenly attached? Like, why are you suddenly trusting this jacket that you found in a car? And then he sees the cocaine. It was the 70s. I guess. Uh, but I yeah, guess. and it's like, ooh, cocaine. Yeah, so he, he, he like hangs up the phone on the other, like the payphone, and he's like, come here, come here, do not call the cops, come here, look at this. And so he has uh, a new plan. <laughs> yeah, he has a new plan. Brilliant new plan. It's like, okay, the lives we knew, they're over. We're gonna become drug pink kingpins now, I guess. <laughs> well, we just we just gotta ditch this cop and this Lonigan. Yeah, just gotta ditch this cop. Uh, it's the dumbest plan imaginable, and it's Al. It's he. To his credit, he is like, I don't think that's a very good idea. But to his detriment, he does ultimately get swayed by him. Well, Elmo's basically like, look, we can explain away the other shit, but we're not going to be able to explain the kilos of cocaine that we have in the back. Right. Which, Although they kind of could, because that's why they're being chased and they should be aware of that. Honestly, I think if I went into a cop station with a bunch of kilos of co- cocaine and said, hey, I just found these. I don't want anything to do with them. Probably be OK. I mean, I guess it depends where. Depends <laughs> where. I, I have no idea how corrupt the St. Louis, Missouri uh, police department was known to be in the early 70s. So I can't really comment on that regard because uh, I, I do feel like there are regimes under which you come in with a bunch of uh, drugs and say, I found this. And like, you sure you uh, you, you didn't uh, have it to begin with? <laughs> Maybe I can just uh, solve this case right here, right now. <laughs> we'll turn the red number black. Yeah. So of course uh, the ship, the Chevelle finds them, and uh, and they drive through the sandwich stand, and it looks like there's no way that the girl at the sandwich stand could have survived. Like you see by, her like, where jump. She's... Yeah, you you see her jump out of view uh, below the thing, uh, and it it does look like they go through where she was. Yeah, it, like it looks like they plowed right through her. But, you know, she pokes her head up at the end, so you can see she's okay. So she's, no. Yeah, she's in the tiny little fragment of it that's left on one end. So it's a shenanigans resolu- resolution. Yeah, banjo music plays. So animation Elmo. of a donkey comes out and goes, hee-haw, hee-haw. <laughs> uh, yeah, so Elmo uh, is still on foot, and he's, like, running into the woods because Al's taking like driving the stingray and he's like meet me at the restaurant thing 
Let's and, split up. Yeah. <laughs> well, he can't get to the stingray in time, so right. and he's being shot at by Abigail. So uh, Abigail and Fatso chase uh, chase Elmo on foot through the woods, while Lonigan and Greaseball are driving and chasing the stingray through. All these Honestly, back gorgeous. Roads. Yeah, I love. I just love the shots of them driving because these back roads are beautiful. Yeah, it's just real uh, middle America. And there is kind of an interesting element to the total openness of the road in this era that like, it's like, well, our, our current lives are over because the police and the bad guys are after us. Let's just drive on the road until we find a new life. (laughs) Whatever. (laughs) You can just go do that. Yeah, so time for more shenanigans as there's these two hicks with their hick truck. Like, what do you see there? Oh, that's one of them Corvettes with the fiberglass body. You ever see what happens when you run into one or when somebody runs into one of those? Oh, I haven't. Well, I'll show you. Yeah, and they're they're trying to run it off the road. But then, you know, the the Chevelle is being a real jerk behind them. They're going to run it off the road instead. Yeah, so they're just like... uh, just like nowhere even close to catching up to the Corvette because you know it's a, it's a hick truck, yeah. like like one of those not like freaking gigantic four by four trucks, but like you know one of those old timey trucks. It's like an old farm truck, yeah, with like yeah, stakes yeah. in the back. It's for hauling like crap back and forth. It's a proper work truck. Yeah, but like old of that era. Yeah, yeah, not built old for speed. For that era built for yeah. haulage. Yeah, so they're just blocking the road and uh, think it's hilarious that they're just blocking the Chevelle. Yeah, and uh, Tony's like, I have an idea, and he pulls the pin on a grenade, and Lonigan's like, What the fuck are you doing? We don't even have the windows down yet. Oh my god, get rid of that thing! And he manages to get it away from him and roll down the window and throw it out just in time for it to blow up. Yeah, so then he comes, so then he takes the grenade. And throws it into the back of the pickup truck. Yeah. But the Hicks managed to get out okay, and they're like, oh, that lawn again? Shit. <laughs> Shaking their fist. Banjo music. Yeah. yeah. You know, the, more the whole chase. Thing. Yeah, more chasing through the countryside. And then we cut to see how Fatso's doing, and he's not doing so good. He's got the. He's like sweating. He's got to take a leak. There's all these damn mosquitoes that he's got to shoot. Right. Well, that was that was a whole thing prior to this that uh, they he was slowing them down because he kept making them stop so he could take a pee. That he's just yeah. peeing all the time. And again, this is very Newman-y, I feel. like it just, That does it, feel like a Newman thing. A, a real Newman behavior that is just like wasting their time with this. Uh, uh, but we we didn't dig much into the Seinfeldiness of all of the characters. No, because I guess we- I guess we didn't yet. Because uh, the the Kramer character would kind of have to be, uh, what's his name? Uh, Elmo. Elmo. Elmo because is he's Kramer. the one who has the dumb plan, but convinces every convinces someone to go along with it. And so everybody else is after him, and it's it's like a, a whole Kramer uh, scenario creation where just uh, these people have to follow him around uh, because of it, uh, and. Uh, I, I feel like our Christopher Mitchum is just kind of like an Elaine's boyfriend character. <laughs> oh, kind of, yeah. Or Although, an ex-boyfriend or something. I, I kind of feel like 
Elmo and uh, Al, they're more like a Mac and Charlie from Always Sunny. True, true, yeah. Although, no, no, see, we, we become drug kingpins. I don't know if we can become drug kingpins, Mac. Yeah, like, I, that's sort of the problem is that, like, Elmo has all of the stupidness and bravado, whereas uh, uh, Al, Al is pretty on the ball most of the time. It's just he keeps being convinced, and I don't know why. <laughs> no self-confidence. I guess not. Uh, but, but yeah, so like you could totally see Newman shooting mosquitoes with a pistol if he had one. Oh, yeah, that's so bizarre that like he is capable of shooting mosquitoes out of the air. There's that part where he is shooting like when he he finds uh, Elmo and he shoots at him and instead he shoots two trees on either side of him. Yeah, <laughs> And they fall over like two tiny saplings that he perfectly shot in the middle of. Like he's always completely off the mark, but he's somehow also always pulling off some kind of incredible shot. Yeah. Yeah. And he's and yeah, he's dual wielding pistols in the woods. It's kind of a kind of a weird image. This guy. Well, he doesn't stick around much longer. No, and I guess there's also that point in the middle of this where it's a dirt bike chase because they all steal dirt bikes from people. Oh, that that doesn't happen until after uh, the Fatso thing. Oh, okay. Because no, yeah, he, I guess that makes sense. I can't imagine him on a dirt bike. Nope, and you don't have to. Nope. So Elmo's been hiding up in a tree and uh, just watching uh, Fatso and Abigail searching for him like. And he's got the jacket, of course. Of course. But he falls off the tree, and they hear him fall, and now they can see him. And they're shooting at him and shooting at him, but he's getting away. Yeah, here's where they, they're shooting, like, the trees on either side of him. And here's where Fatso does kind of the most Newman-y thing ever. He's like, ah, you're no good with that gun, Elaine. Give it to me here. Give me that gun. And just tries to grab the assault rifle out of her hands. And, and she like, is not having it. <laughs> and they're fighting back and forth over it, and then suddenly just, boom, shoots into his dick and out his asshole. Like, she accidentally pulls yeah. the trigger. and Like, it is an accident at this point. But, yeah, she, yeah, it is so gruesome. Like, he it's, gets. Yeah, because you just see, like. this. It's very gory. Of, it's, it's a gory <laughs> It's a gross shot. It's, it splatters out both ways. It's very, very gruesome. And like, it's so like up until this point, again, we've had like a solid half hour of just goofiness. The silliest stuff. Like, again, the, the lady at the sandwich shack uh, peeping out of the little tiny fragment of uh, shack left. Yeah, when there's no way that she actually could have gotten there. Yeah. But, yeah, his reaction, he's just like, Makes a goofy face, and then he goes, ouch. Yeah, and he dies, and she's upset for a second, and then she's like, eh, well. <laughs> she's like, great, now I gotta go through, now I gotta find my way back by myself. Right, yeah. And, uh, yeah. Yeah, so we've got more chasing shenanigans. Uh, meanwhile, Al is driving the Stingway through a quarry, but and manages to briefly get away from the Chevelle. Uh, is it, and then, like, he, he gets a hold of an Earth Mover. That, that, that whole bit was kind of fun. I like the Earth Mover bit, but, uh, yeah, so 
but uh, that's not not quite yet. First, now we have Elmo stealing the bike. So <laughs> we, there, there's there's these two people having sex in the wilderness, um, dirt bikers, because they both got dirt bikes. And it's this like this long shot of it's totally focusing on Elmo, like grabbing the helmet and putting the goggles on and not really doing it very quickly. But like all the time you could hear the couple like, oh, God, oh, yes. Oh, God. Oh, yes. Oh, oh, harder, harder. Wait, 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 wait. Hold on. Wait, wait. I don't want to wait. Come on. We're almost. No, wait. Seriously. Look, listen. No, aren't we in the middle of – no, somebody's stealing our bike. And then like, Elmo looks at some them. Some guy is stealing your motorcycle. Elmo looks at them and is like, oh, um, no, don't mind I'm me. just – don't mind me. I'm just borrowing your bike. Uh, carry on, guys. Um, don't. I'll, I'll bring it back, I promise. Keep swimming. Come on. <laughs> Come on. Keep swimming naked. All right, I'm, Abby, open fire. And and he takes off and immediately Abby shows up like it, instantly thereafter yeah. and she's like wielding the AK is like I'm taking this bike. <laughs> yeah. So we have uh, bike chase shenanigans through the tall grass in the forest uh, with her shooting at him like balancing the gun on the handlebars. Pretty badass, honestly. Uh, she doesn't hit him and then she falls off the bike and he's able to get away. Yeah, and uh, we, this is one of the uh, one of the scenes where we got like random people on the road just commenting on it. Like uh, they see it's like an old person, and I guess his daughter uh, sees Elmo driving by, and is like, "That looks like one of them Hell's Angels." It's not a Hell's Angel. It's uh, <laughs> just a guy on a bike. Well, he looks like a Hell's Angels. Yeah, like this. Very lame looking dude. Like he is, he has a nerdy look about him. And he uh, looks and... like he's about 80 or 90. <laughs> and then Abby, of course, like does a, like a stunt jump over the car. And the guy's like, what? And that's it. That's all we see of him. We just had to get the reaction shot. You know, hee haw blackout gag. You know, you gotta yeah. get just a, a button character. Zoom into and... someone making a goofy face. And back to the quarry, we've got another um, Lonigan explains what's happening to Tony scene where it's like, why are we stopped here, Lonigan? Yeah, you see that uh, heat gauge? Sure do. What does it say? Uh, it says it's really hot. Are you stopping the car so that we can let it cool down? Yeah. And then like this bulldozer comes by and they're like looking at it laughing like, <laughs> what if that's him? Oh shit, it's him. <laughs> and it's Al driving the bulldozer and they're like shooting at it, shooting at it. But of course, you know, it's a bulldozer. They're not hitting, they're hitting the front thing. And he like just shoves their car into a big pile of rocks and then parks the, like stops the bulldozer and runs away back to the stingray that's parked over somewhere. Well, it's it's a clever ploy because like he doesn't really need to do anything to them. He just like pushes their car up onto the gravel, so yeah. it's not possible for it to get purchase, and it's just sort of like not on road or road like material. So it's just yeah. trapped. Yeah, and the, and the like the bulldozers in the way of the one direction they could go. So yeah, and he drives away, <laughs> and 
I, I love this bit because Lonigan like says to Tony, he's like, hey, see if you can get that bulldozer to work. And I'm just I like this bit because I'm thinking this guy's not going to be able to just figure out how to work a bulldozer just by looking at the controls. Oh, but movie logic, he will. So he looks at it, he's like, huh? And Lonigan comes and he's like, let me see that shit. He just looks at the bulldozer he's like, what is this bullshit? Yeah, they're both completely stumped by it. Uh, but uh, fortunately, uh, Elaine will come to save the day. Yeah, she hears uh, she hears Tony fire a gun because just I don't know if he fired it on purpose or by accident. I didn't write it down. And it's like, that sounds like Tony. And uh, yeah, so she reunites with the team and they're like, where's Fatso? And she's just like, I, I had to smoke him. I smoked him. It's like you, you what? I smoked him. It's like, did you? She did she kill him? It's like, oh yeah. It's like I smoked that ham. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So, so now we get Elmo or um, Al rather driving the Stingray, and he's having a flashback to Elmo telling him what restaurant to meet to meet at. Right. And so, like, he finds this weird bar and I I can't remember where they got the name of the bar from. Oh, it was I can't remember. I didn't write down the bar name. He had seen it somewhere. uh, But yeah, this is the the name that they knew or something. Ronnie B's or something. Yeah, something like that. But like this is a total bar fight waiting to happen bar. Yeah, it's it's a brawl bar, a, a, a movie brawl bar. Yeah, so like he orders a beer and the person brings him a bottle and he's like, can you open it? I'd like to drink it. So she smashes the neck of the bottle and uh, pour, pours it for him and gives it to him. Thanks. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and uh, Elmo gets to the bar on his bike and finds Al. And he's, he's the lower half of his face is like completely dirty. And he's and Al's like, what happened to you? He's like, <laughs> You ever ride a bike through a swarm of gnats at 60 miles an hour? No. Well, that's what that's what this is. Yeah, it's it's just a, a complete black film over the entire bottom of his face. It's pretty gross looking. It's so he so wants bad. to go clean up, obviously. Yeah. Yeah, and Abby and like the the bad guys get to the bar, and Abby's like, "Let's case the joint." And Lonakin just chuckles, like, "Case the joint? I bet you have friends at the big house too." Right. I, I guess we, we did not mention that, like, she showed up and was completely capable with the the Earth Mover. She, like, oh, yeah, on right. It, she like, uh, handled she it, figured like it out immediately somehow. And uh, yeah, they were able to, to get the car out. So they go into the bar and this one dude immediately starts hitting on Abby, which. Well, first, first, Lonigan has to convince her not to bring the AK into the bar because that's a terrible yeah. idea. Yeah, going to draw a little bit of attention. But, you know, it's Abby. She'll draw attention anyway. She pours a drink down the dude's, down the front of the dude's pants, which is He's, hilarious. It's very funny. He's way too insistent. Like, she, he, he hits on her, and she's like, get out of my way. I'm busy. And he, he pushes it, and he pushes it again, and he pushes it again, and this is the wrong person to do that with. And she pours uh, the drink down his pants. And he's like, you... Bitch. And then she takes a lighter and lights the dude's crotch on fire. So good. 
Yeah. Right, because like it, it was like a vodka that she poured in his pants. Yeah, and uh, <laughs> and like this huge bar fight, of course, breaks out immediately. So Elmo or uh, Al goes into the bathroom where Elmo is, and Elmo's like, "There's no toilet paper in here." <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but they get out through the window, and there's Tony waiting for him with the AK. But he falls down the stairs because some drunk guy, like, pushes past him. And then uh, this is somehow, this is really weird how uh, Al and Elmo are able to overpower Tony instantly and take away the AK. It's because he's just not very good at anything. Yeah. So, like, I, I think t- what happens is, like, Tony hits Elmo with the butt of the rifle and as like as Al is trying to take it away and then Al's like that's my friend here hold this and he pads the rifle back to him and punches him out and then just takes it and they get away mm-hmm. yeah and then so, they come upon him knocked out and they're like what the hell dude yeah yeah so Lonigan uh, and Tony they drive off without Abby and he actually tries to hit her yeah because like, like damn I missed and and he explains to uh, Tony, it's like, don't you get it? She killed him, and if we continue to work with her, all that like is waiting for us is a body bag. Yeah, and it's like, uh, I I can't believe it. I've I violated Lonigan's first rule: don't mix B and B. Oh, uh, what? Business and broads. And so yeah, the, <laughs> so Lonigan has straight up said. We're not working. We're not dealing with Abby anymore. We're just going to do this ourselves. Yeah, like she can have whatever she needs. And like he has already tried to do this. Like when they split up, his oh, intention yeah, he was didn't to tell never. Her to meet yeah, his intention was not to meet up with them again. She, he was very upset when she found them, but she had to save them. And then the next day, the co- or later on, the cops get to the bar. And there's this, this one guy who's like, Hey, Lieutenant, how about a drink? He's like the one guy still standing. He's like, I'm a lieutenant. I don't drink on the job. And it's like, come on, what about just one? And the lieutenant breaks breaks the I, bottle over the guy's head. I really wah, love wah. this moment because it's, it's such a big, goofy moment, and it feels like a naked gun gag. <laughs> it does. Like, it, it, the, the tone of it is so weird because the guy, like, he, he it, it's much like the guy hitting on her earlier. Uh, and this guy just like, come on, chief, have a drink. And uh, the chief like breaks a bottle over his head and he goes down. And chief's like, has the whole world gone mad? It's <laughs> <laughs> like a big theatrical take to the camera. And again, like, yeah, yeah it, it feels like uh, there should be a silly music sting and there should be like a title card come up or something. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So um, Abby is. Abby's hitchhiking now. Uh, the Chevelle has also the Chevelle is stalled, and Tony like fucks with a wire to make it like, but it makes it just smoke. And Logan's like, just just go away, please, please go away, Tony, please just go away. You don't know what you're doing, please. <laughs> I no longer have the patience for it. Please, God. Yeah. So Abby's hitchhiking, and she gets picked up by this guy who looks. Almost exactly like Ricky from Trailer Park Boys. I, I would say she does not get picked up by him, but she stop. He stops for her. He stops for her. She has to like, for for a brief second, she has to 
look like a normal person to get somebody to stop. And then she immediately put goes back into psycho mode and shoots the guy instantly. Yeah, I, I think his is like the only death that we don't see graphically. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he died. We just it's hear like the gunshot. It's like cutaway gunshot, yeah. Yeah. Um, so we've got uh, Al and Elmo like talking about how once we get, we get where we're going, we're not going to stop for nothing. Smash cut to them stopping for a hot girl hitchhiker. Yeah, like immediately they, they pass a hitchhiker who's uh, hot. Uh, and it, it turns out to be the best decision they could possibly make. Yeah, it turns out to be a great decision, but it takes a long time to find that, that out. Because, uh, like, they're talking to her, and or trying to talk to her, they're almost like, do you ever talk? And she just nods, and he's like, when do you talk? When it's necessary. Yeah, she, she's, she's doing the, the silent thing. She's being cute. Yeah, she's she's kind of figuring these guys out because she knows they're dumb pretty quickly. It's <laughs> obvious knows. that they're dumb, but she's not sure exactly what it is they're doing and what their game is, because obviously they're on the run from something because they're both like talking about being on the run from something. Yeah, they're being very loud and stupid about it. And they're talking about it also. Uh, here's where they get to the paint shop where I don't know whose brilliant <laughs> idea it is. Uh, oh, it's Elmo's brilliant It's idea. Elmo's idea. They're always Elmo's bad ideas. <laughs> so, <laughs> they're going to pull a Grand Theft Auto. They hop into this hillbilly paint shop just in, like, I, I, ex-urban Missouri. Like, this, this movie is kind of primarily set in St. Louis, and this would be sort of, like, on the outskirts. This is some, like, back alley bad car paint shop. <laughs> I love this bit. Because they're, like they're they're picking out the color, and it's like, come on, they're looking for a red stingray. They're not going to be looking for a blue stingray. And Al's like, well, do you have anything in a different red? He's like, look at the list. <laughs> Just like, look at the uh... list of what he's got. So they pick Barracuda Blue, and the guy's like, it'll be ready in 20 minutes. And I'm immediately like, that's not good. That. <laughs> No paint shop worth anything will have it done in 20 minutes. And we we see like a POV of the car being painted from this guy who does not look very reputable, but we're it's going to be a while before we see the result. It's a great slow roll. It's one of the best gags in the in the movie. I would argue the best gag. (laughs) Well, if you combine it with the car wash, it becomes right. the best gag. Yeah, I mean, they're kind of interlinked. Yeah, so they're in the office uh, talking loudly about the situation that they're in. And then the girl, like, leaves and comes back. <laughs> She's like, well, since the car is obviously hot and you're in some trouble, and they're going to tell the cops are going to find you immediately because of the license plate. So I swapped some license plates from a junker outside and, uh, and we can swap the plates. And with that and the paint, no one will find you. Also, <laughs> you're going to need to set up a buyer for the cocaine, which is really a bad idea because anyone who you can sell it to is going to just kill you and take it. So maybe just get rid of that stuff. That's probably yeah. <laughs> not a good thing to hang on to. He's well, like, maybe oh. we could go to the police. Oh no, that's not a good idea either because they'll think that you that you're involved with the cocaine. So yeah, she just shot down both of their ideas and said, "Look, just get rid of it and it'll be fine." Or and it's the least bad thing you can do, rather. 
Well, currently, right now, you know, they're 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 in this whole thing where they're caught up with these guys. They need to lose these guys first, and they need to have these guys dealt with before uh, they can get the police off of their backs. And like, she's very right that it's like, no, there is nothing good that can come of you continuing to hang on to this co- cocaine. Just get rid of it. Just leave it right here, and we can move on. And uh, Please oh, yeah. leave it. Just leave it. Oh my god, leave I it. I forgot to add, she says she found the cocaine on the front seat of the car. Oh, right, yeah. It's like, yeah, guys. <laughs> like, you guys... You are not, uh, like, great criminals. You You're, are not. Th- you are headed for death if you continue to go this path, so let's just scratch off that idea altogether, uh, Mr. Criminal Mastermind uh, Elmo. Elmo wants to be mastermind. Uh, Sesame Street Elmo is, despite being a literal child, is much, much smarter than this Elmo. Maybe uh, I would say uh, about on the same level. But Elmo wouldn't try to sell the cocaine. <laughs> Elmo He'd selling cocaine. <laughs> I mean, that sounds like a very special episode. I want to see that el- <laughs> that episode. Elmo well, got you know, this from Oscar the Grouch. Well, you know. Uh, hey, don't. Marlowe's rolling into Big Bird's territory, and he, <laughs> he's just, like, needing soldiers in the fight, so he's recruiting them young. Elmo's this guy. <laughs> he's got Poot training him, you know, he's, he's got his guys. Uh, <laughs> yep, yeah, he's, he's making deals with Proposition Joe. He's just got to expand his operations down past Sesame Street. I'll tell you why you want to work with me, because P for proposition <laughs> he's right and p is also for profits mm. so uh so tony and lonigan are waiting outside the the chevelle and he, or the the paint shop rather and this is where he's like what are they doing in there they're painting the car tony <laughs> and like, like they're he's he's so cur- he keeps theorizing and he's just like sitting there silently like I hate you so much. <laughs> I'm so mad. I'm so mad. He's finally like, what does it say on the building? Auto paint. They're painting the car, Tony. Yeah. So, and then so back- the, the, <laughs> here, the door here opens. Here it comes. <laughs> and we see the, this might be the shittiest paint job I have ever seen on a vehicle. And I'm that's including like, the spray painted trucker convoy paint jobs. Oh, it's like it is one of those, but like it's the worst. Like it, it's when someone does like that black primer where they just like spray paint over a car that looks bad, but they did it so badly. <laughs> and it was a forty dollar paint job. It yeah. looks like a forty dollar paint it, job. It looks like a forty dollar paint job. It looks like a current forty dollar paint job. Yeah. And is like, well, Al and Elmo don't have any cash. Elmo's just got seven bucks. So the girl uh, unhappily pays for it. But she's like, all right, I I can pay into this. I I know that we've got like this will pay off later on down the line. I can invest. (laughs) Yeah. So as they're driving away, uh, Lonigan's about to go chase after him. But he gets ice picked in the back of the neck by Abby. Ooh, she was hit. She was hiding there. She's uh, killing her way through the line. 
Yeah, so now it's just her and uh, Tony. And she points. She actually points the gun at Tony and shoots, but it just clicks because she's out of bullets. Yeah, it's like, well, Costanza, looks like you're still working with me. For now. It's, it's like, oh, yeah, I mean, I, I never uh, was on his side at all. I, I oh, That's crazy. I didn't try to hit you. It was all his idea. And, uh, yeah, so on the radio, we find out that Lonigan is supposedly 31 and Tony is supposedly 28. And, like, that's a rough-looking 31 and 28. <laughs> yeah, that's brutal. <laughs> so Al's <laughs> Those like, are some city miles. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. So Al still wants to go to the police. He says, we got to go to the police so that those guys in the clown car don't accidentally shoot someone. And Elmo's like, won't be an accident. And then this... I love this line, and Al's like, well, the way they shoot, it will be. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, they're driving away, and they they pull into uh, they pull into this car wash to kind of just take a little break there and see what's and see if the Chevelle recognizes them or not. But <laughs> they're they parked. Up. They parked at the like on the conveyor belt of the car wash. So they're going in. And I love this. I fucking love this. You can see the car wash just, just from the water washing over it, just wash all the paint off. And when it comes out, it comes out looking like this beautiful, pristine red, like how it did before. The the paint just completely vanishes. It, it melts entirely off of it as they go through. Uh, <laughs> And like they're waiting on the other side of the, the the car wash for them, and they know when they get out on the other side, those guys are going to be waiting for them. Yeah. So, so, so another chase ensues, but Elmo's got a great idea. He's got so many great ideas. He, Elmo's an ideas man. He takes the top off of the convertible like the convertible top <laughs> detaches it and throws it at them and they just drive around it and he's like i thought huh. it would hit oh, i thought, I thought i'd hit him. like you just got rid of the fucking hard top are you kidding or the soft top what are you doing you're ruining my life you're ruining my car <laughs> yeah so more uh oh and now we get the driving school bit or another one of like <laughs> just some old civilian trying to teach this lady how to drive and she's doing a bad job stopped at the intersection so they all have to drive around her but the cop goes right into her and she's like does this mean i fail my driving class oh yeah lady you bet your ass you failed Hee-haw. yeah i don't know yeah <laughs> yeah so Daisy May pops up from the corn and like they both make a joke about women's liberation or something <laughs> <laughs> like the, the donkey kicks the screen and goes. <laughs> yeah, so so they drive. So the chase takes them to like this gorgeous old rail bridge. I love this setting. Really cool for like the climax of the movie. And uh, Elmo is like standing like in the back of the car, shooting with the AK that he managed to get from Tony. And Abby's like, "Where the hell did they get that?" And Tony's like, "I dropped it at the bar." <laughs> so when I, they took him out. Uh, so Abby uh, karate chops him in the neck, and uh, Tony shoots her. She shoots. She perforates him, is what I wrote down. 
Yeah, like it's it's similar to how Newman went. Uh, she or Roscoe, she she really uh, put some holes in him, uh, but then he <laughs> he gets the last blast. Yeah, so like the way he fell, uh, like they're out of the car now. The way he fell, like the shotgun is kind of leaning up against where the car door would close. So Abby, after being shot once but not fatally, gets into the car, closes it, closes it on the shotgun, and you just hear this blam. And because it, it was aimed at where her head would yeah. be. Uh, yeah. So yeah, the those guys have taken care of themselves very neatly. Yeah, and the cops find all the corpses of them, and it's, it's like such a waste of a good woman. I'm like, really? I think this is actually the best possible outcome here. Yeah, she, that that lady's been deranged, and like, she was the one with all the wanted posters for the, all the murders. Yeah, uh, she's she's the murder one. Yeah. Yeah, so Alice like, well, now we, now for sure we got to be able to go to the cops because we technically haven't done anything wrong. And uh, Elmo's like, well, yeah, you know that that jacket that I had, it it had a million dollars in it, but I guess he set it down somewhere because a bum took it, a homeless guy, and now he's on top of the bridge. Yeah, they, they, like there, there's a whole bit about it where it was stashed somewhere and uh, they go to find where it was stashed and it's not there. And then they see the guy wearing it and they chase him out on this long derelict bridge, which is so cool. Oh, yeah. So cool. And like like Al's chasing after him and Elmo's like, should I go to is it worth it? A uh, quarter of a million dollars. Uh, never mind. I'm coming. And they track down and they like chase this bum and the bum's like, it's my coat. I just want to, I just want this coat. I'll give you whiskey. I have lots of whiskey. I just want a coat. And then he makes the baffling decision of being like, well, if I can't have this jacket, nobody can. So he tosses it off the bridge and it gets caught on like um, uh, one of those posts with the light on it. Yeah. So Al has to try to climb down to get it. And yeah, so sorry, go ahead. And like Elmo is is sort of at this point, he keeps being back and forth between like, oh, don't climb out there. It's not worth it. It's to just to leave it. We, we, we've we've wasted too much. And like at this point, it's like, no, climb out to get it. We, we've gone through this much. Yeah. So so he's trying to he's trying to get the jacket. Uh, he does catch it, but he kind of falls off. So like he's dangling. He tosses the jacket on off of the bridge. Or onto the bridge, rather, and then yeah, he falls. To, yeah, he, he tosses the, the jacket up to Elmo and then falls to his apparent death. And then him and Kiefer Sutherland fly away and have hot sex. Roll credits. Yeah, yeah. Oh, wait, different movie. That's yeah, this, this is not that movie. Yeah, this, this is Missouri. This is not California. Yeah, no, they <laughs> there's no two boys having hot sex in Missouri. <laughs> oh, unheard of. The city of brotherly love? Isn't that St. Louis? Oh, oh maybe that's Philadelphia. Is it? That's I don't. I don't. Slogans. Cities of slogans. Uh, yeah. St. <laughs> Louis has the French or the the friendship arch. Oh my God. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, Sorry. I'm not. I'm not sure. Sorry. <laughs> I don't know. Midwest probably icon. pissed off a lot of Americans uh, just but now. But like, uh, yeah. So there. Are, he he thinks he's fallen and he like has the jacket and he they return to 
the bottom of the bridge and he's like having this conversation with uh, the hitchhiker girl. Whose name we never learn. Yeah, I, I don't got it. I don't know. No, it, it, I, I kept an ear out for it. It, it. We don't learn her name. Like even as she's leaving, it's like, hey, come back, whatever your name is. Right. So like they're talking about how how he died. Well, he's, that, and he's yeah, he's talking about river. his regrets. Yeah. Uh, that you know uh, that all of this was his fault, and it was. It was all uh-huh. his fault. He he really uh, screwed it on most of this. If he'd just made some better decisions and supported better decisions, this would have worked out better. And yeah, it, very good bit by al uh-huh. I, I think very funny <laughs> he floats by in the background as a corpse yeah uh, just to get their attention and like you know he uh uh elmo runs out and he like pulls him out of the water and he does a whole dramatic thing and it's like yeah i was just messing with you <laughs> <laughs> yeah so uh yeah he's like oh yeah i'm fine i just wanted to make a dramatic entrance yeah so I thought this would be funnier <laughs> So Elmo's like, okay, <laughs> like they've got their their jacket of money and uh, and their cocaine, I guess. Yeah, they they still have the cocaine, don't they? I think they left some of the cocaine with the car. Maybe all of oh, it. Oh, maybe. I, at they least one of the bricks of it was with uh, the bad guys in the car. Yeah. So they're like, okay, I've got an idea. Bolivia. Yeah, we're, he's still like gonna get away. Yeah, he, you know, he he's still planning on maybe like going off uh, uh, to uh, abandon their lives and uh, go adventuring for some reason. He does well, not I mean, seem they, like the type for it, though. It's not working out for him. He could go on adventures if he agreed to listen to someone smarter than him. Like, say, girl. Yeah, I mean, he needs a manager. <laughs> That's what. It, yes. Or a uh, a babysitter. Yeah. Maybe he needs three babysitters, uh, like this kid in one of the movies we're going to talk about in the third part. <laughs> oh, so yeah, that that's Stingray. Uh, one thing I was actually didn't just noticing as we were talking about it, they they don't um, they don't objectify any of the girls for sex, even though even though like like the girls like dress like a sex object. She's never she never acts like or is never treated like one. Which I thought was kind of cool. Yeah, the movie like is... It's, it's it, not it, about that. This is a movie that doesn't really uh, delve into sexuality much at all. It's it's it, it doesn't really play at that level. It doesn't have human desires in it. It's more just like very broad, very goofy comedy uh, with just surprising moments of shocking violence. <laughs> and it's always surprising because they're so few and far between that like you forget that they're part of it. Well, especially it because there'll be, there, there will be moments in between where that sort of thing could happen and doesn't. Yeah. So like, like, like the lady surviving at the, when they yeah. drove through the gas station or like the other cops just doing stupid things in their car overheating and they break the axle or something instead yeah. of them getting a uh, bloodily blown away. Like some of the others do. Yeah, so it's like you never know when it's going to end in bloody murder or when it's going to end in uh, shenanigans. It, it keeps you on your toes. Uh, but really yeah, fun. I, it's a pretty fun time. It's a very strange one, uh, especially do try to see the unrated cut, which is 
so strange because like I, I think it's originally a pg or a pg-13 that's that's what it said on the back yeah pg um pg i wouldn't care about this movie nearly as much if it would if it didn't have all the weird murders cut put through it, although it, lonigan's a great character lonigan's a lot of fun either way but yeah it, it definitely adds this real interesting layer to it that feels like it's ported in from another movie and in a good way uh-huh. um yeah, uh, I recommend this one. It's pretty fun. Uh, so, yeah, any final thoughts on that before we head to part three? Yeah. Uh, hey, hey, gotta get away. Gotta get to part three because we're done talking about Stingray. And we're back for part three where we talk about other movies watched in the previous week and decide what we're going to cover next week. Uh, I thought we'd begin first by talking a bit about the unbearable weight of massive talent. Oh, this is like the most Nicolas Cage movie by design because he's playing he's playing himself kind of the same way Adam West plays himself and played himself in Family Guy. Yeah, like he's playing Nick Cage with a K, yeah. whereas Nick Cage usually is an IC. Uh, Although, you know, he is the Nicolas Cage who is the movie star and has been in such films as Face Off and Guarding Tess and And Con Air and Con Air uh, and uh, Adaptation, although that one isn't referenced by name, it is definitely referenced by content. Yeah, like I would say that's kind of the, the real appeal to this movie is if you're a big Cage fan and you've really delved into his work you can see a lot of echoes of stuff in there in addition to ones that they just full-on show clips from or have props from like yeah like there's one scene where he's being chased by uh by three black suvs and they come over the hill just like that scene in the rock Mm -hmm. there's Um, like there's a lot of visual references and of course there is uh an imaginary younger nick cage that he has arguments with who's a much more amped up version of him this yeah this is is where nick cage gets to really just go off is when he's playing this uh this imaginary younger him he's kind of doing really unhinged 80s nick cage like he's playing sort of uh, a really amplified version of the character he was in moonstruck but maybe more like uh the character he is in deadfall like somewhere in between those yeah but also like the over the topness that the internet kind of attributes to actual Nick Cage is what he's doing what the internet thinks Nick Cage is. I think. Yeah, like he he really holds on the things like he, when he yells, he'll hold it longer to the point that it becomes absurd or uncomfortable. Uh, he, yeah, he he is the uh, excessive Cage, whereas. Uh, uh, the the main character is kind of a sillier version like he he's a little bit more self-recognizing yeah yeah so he's in, in this movie he's down on his luck he didn't get like the big part that he really needed in order to be back baby not that he ever left well, it's it's the role he wanted to do where he got to uh have a really thick Boston accent. And he was oh, really right. excited to do the Boston accent, which I, I found to be a really funny little bit at the beginning. <laughs> uh, and he, he like has done this whole speech and he really wants to perform it. 
and it, it's it's kind of adorable. And like I do think that that, that is sort of reflective of Nicolas Cage as an actor who does love to work, and he oh, is yeah. a working actor. But like he loves the craft. He's very very genuine and earnest about it. And like it does matter to him. Yeah, like he loves yeah. being in movies, and he likes getting roles that he'll have fun with. Yeah. So um, since he's running out of money he has to take this job for a million bucks to do a birthday party for this guy but uh-oh the cia is tr- tracking him thinking he's a drug kingpin yeah so like tiffany haddish is like his cia contact i think and uh yeah he he's enlisted to go undercover working with this guy who really legitimately just is a super fan and who loves him and thinks he's the coolest and wants to make a movie with him. Yeah. And it's great. He's like, uh, he's trying to buy time so that he can stay at the mansion to investigate this kidnapping that's happening. So he's like, I'd like to stay here and, uh, um, do the movie with you. Oh, you've read my screen. Yeah, Yeah. He's like, you've read my screenplay. Do you want to be in it? He's like, yes, I don't. But oh yeah, I, I don't. <laughs> but then ultimately, it turns out he does, and like he, he, does, he yeah. really they they get into it and they like become besties, and it's this whole. It's actually yeah, it's a it's very sweet, beautiful friendship story, but it's also an action movie. Yeah, because like his uh, and brother, a satire of... yeah, his his brother is the the real uh, drug guy, and he's just sort of the uh, a, a cover for it all. Yeah, it's sweet. It's it's a pretty fun movie. And like if you are into Nicolas Cage, like you kind of have to be a big Nicolas Cage fan to uh, get much out of it. I feel like I I feel like it may be legitimately unbearable if you are not a fan of Nicolas Cage. Yeah, if, if you don't like him or if you're unfamiliar with him, I don't know how much you're going to get out of this movie. I feel like it would be an extended version of uh, that commercial of, you know, the most interesting man in the world. Oh, yeah. Do you remember those? I think it would just <laughs> feel like an action movie based on that guy if you were not already familiar with the works of Nicolas Cage. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, like the whole making a movie with this guy turns out the way adaptation does, kind of. Right. Different. It's very adaptation y. Uh, It's like the it's like the movie within the movie of adaptation that like another one kind of. So. Oh, go ahead. uh, Yeah. And he's he's got like this daughter who he's being a who he's not getting along with because he's focusing on his work too much. and, And like it's this whole thing where his friend helps him like reconnect with his family, too. Like, it's, it's very just, cornball like it, it does set up all of the the pieces like it it's uh very on a track and how much of that is it's kind of a corny script and how much of it is satire is sort of hard to say ultimately because it's not like high art <laughs> oh no no but it's a fun movie um yeah definitely only really gonna be for nick cage fans because otherwise it's probably oh. just a mediocre action film Nick Cage and Pedro Pascal fans, because Pedro Pascal as the the rich guy, as the buddy, is also really delightful uh, and maybe even overshadows Cage at times. Uh, They, you know, I kind of I do agree, like they do they do a really good job of sharing the spotlight in what could have 
easily bid Nick Cage overpowers everybody the movie. Yeah, but like, yeah, Pedro Pascal, like very, very charming presence and is really lovable in it as his buddy. Uh, yeah, but yeah, it's it's a fun time, but really for Nicolas Cage completists primarily, like, or, you know, people working in that direction. Like you, you kind of have to have an established Nicolas Cage fandom for this to work, I feel. Or if you're a Homestuck fan, you could figure it out. Sure. Actually, this is <laughs> this feels like the Nick Cage that uh, the character from Homestuck would make if he was making a Nick Cage movie. Yeah, it it does feel like uh like it, it is very selectively otherworldly in that sense. It's like a '90s comic book movie about Nicolas Cage. Mm-hmm. You know, in in the same way that the Venom movie feels like it came out in 1998. Uh, yeah, you know, this does feel like it came out the same era as The Rock and Face Off. Yeah. Real good though. Uh, recommended if you're a fan of Nick Cage, but I mean, if you're a Probably fan of Nick of Cage, I don't. You don't need me to recommend it. Yeah, you've probably heard about it by now. It was one of those things that the internet was obsessed with, but I don't know if it translated to many people watching it. But it was I fun. I don't know. <laughs> I loved it. I loved it. Yeah. Okay, so we've got, I believe, ten picks this week. Ooh, excellent. Uh, first up is. Halloween 6, The Curse of Michael Myers. This is one of the ones, and it might be the first one that I ever saw, but it's one of the ones I saw at a theater as a teenager. So this is the worst one. This is the dumbest one. It's like, in my analogy last time, I was referring to Halloween uh, 5 as feeling like the Jason Takes Manhattan, where it kind of reaches an apex of silliness that really fits it in sort of a, a fun, heightened, stupid movie. Okay. This one is the Jason goes to hell where it's just like, let's pile as much unbelievably stupid background lore onto this character that totally can't support it until oh, yeah. the whole there's franchise like, collapses under its weight. Yeah, there's like druidic lore. Um, he was marked as a child or something, I remember. Uh, yeah, so this is the one you saw. So you saw the theatrical version, which is the worst version. I watched oh. both cuts of it. There's a theatrical cut and there is a producer's cut. Okay, uh, what, what's the what's different? So uh, they they both share the awful main plot, which is Jamie, the little girl who was the star of the previous two movies, was abducted at the end of the previous movie along with Michael uh, by this cult. At the at the opening, we see that she is pregnant and giving birth, uh, which will turn out to be Michael's baby. She is pregnant by her uncle and uh, giving forced birth by a religious cult. Uh, Not something that uh, felt really relevant uh, watching this past week or anything. Uh, And yeah, so like it's, it's this plot that this cult wants to have Michael breed with abducted women to create further Michaels somehow that will like through the cult's energy become child murderers. And I don't know. It's, Uh... Like, honestly, it doesn't make any sense. <laughs> I, I would say that the producer's cut is more coherent altogether, whereas the theatrical cut, I don't know what altogether happened in the movie. You know, that was my feeling getting out of it. Yeah. So it's Paul Rudd's first movie. Paul Rudd introduced in the theatrical cut as Paul Stephen Rudd. Oh. So he's he... Tommy Doyle. Okay, does he get Michael in a wheelchair and then push him off uh, down a hill into a lake? 
sadly no so he's weird like he's a peeper he's the neighborhood weirdo satanist okay uh and he like he just is the guy who knows about michael myers because you know he saw him as a kid right uh and he finds the baby that the niece gave birth to and hid in a bus station, which is the stupidest thing ever because like he realizes somehow from the recording, cause he's listening to the same shock jock that she calls into. There's a whole thing about a Howard Stern esque shock jock coming to town. <laughs> okay. I, I don't know if you recall, uh, no. but so he he somehow deduces that she was at the bus station and he like finds the payphone and like it's the next day like it happened at night and then it's the next day and he follows a literal trail of blood from the payphone in a busy bus station all the way to the bathroom where there's a crying baby in a cabinet nobody else noticed in the past day <laughs> No, they're, uh, they they got to catch a bus. But yeah, it's it's a movie about Michael Caine or Michael Caine. <laughs> Michael Myers, <laughs> Michael Myers trying to chase down a baby. But there's a whole cult involved in the theatrical version. It has the unbelievably stupid ending of Paul Rudd just beating Michael Myers to death with a pipe until green goo comes out of his eyes. <laughs> oh, I do remember that. And the the absolute worst part is that, like, it goes on a little bit and they talk to Donald Pleasance or, they, you know, they talk to Loomis outside and he's like, oh, there's one last thing I need to take care of. Uh, and it just sort of ends with they, they show that Michael Myers isn't there anymore, like where Paul Rudd beat him to death with the pipe. And then there's a screaming, you know, that you have uh, Loomis going, ah, and it, it is it is assumed that obviously Michael Myers got him and then no fucking shit. It cuts to dedicated to Donald Pleasance because he died during the filming of the movie. <laughs> but what an unbelievably bad taste way to do oh, it. Oh, right? that's bad. So that's not in the producer's cut. They don't do it that way. They, he doesn't die at the end or anything. Uh, they, Th that's not how it ends and there's a much weirder part where i i think it's maybe my favorite move moment in either of them although there's one death in the theatrical cut where a guy gets electrocuted and his head explodes that's not in the producer's cut and is great hmm. okay but uh paul rudd in big druidic robes <laughs> uh opens you know, his his uh, kit bag of rune stones and he throws the runes and he holds Michael at bay with them. <laughs> that does, that's, that's a wonderful work. moment. Yeah, it does, though, because he's a druidic uh, beast uh, bred by one. a demon cult. Yeah, in this one only. Uh, it's I, I like that, even though it's very silly, it's it does tone down a lot of the 90s edginess of the theatrical cut, uh, which notably in the 90s or in the theatrical version, mostly uh, soundtracked by songs by the obscure grunge band Brother Kane. Don't know. Uh, they, they were one hit wonder. They had a song called And Fools Shine On. 
but there's like five of their songs in the soundtrack of this movie. <laughs> all right. So the, in in the producer's cut, they cut all of that out. They have it just like standard classic Halloween score by Alan Howarth, who uh, did most of the scores after John Carpenter left and is like a, who worked with John Carpenter on other stuff like the two of them did Escape from New York together. OK, well, that's that's better. So, yeah, the producer cut altogether better, but still bad because they're just it's it's a weird and bad idea. Like the whole thing that there's a cult who has Michael impregnate women to create super killers like bad, bad yeah, idea. Stupid. I don't like it. Uh, <laughs> I don't want to no think about Michael Myers having sex with his child niece. Uh, I really bad. don't want to think about that. Yeah, uh, bad. Uh, next up is Jacko. <laughs> it's a uh, woo brain melting. Uh, no budget, Z grade Halloween movie. There's this small town, and they've been cursed by this wizard that was executed in like I don't know centuries ago or something. Whatever. Right. There's this small boy who just has no reaction to anything ever, and he's being stalked by Pumpkin Man. And is this like, like Linus and the Great Pumpkin, where only he can see him. I mean, he keeps seeing him and nobody else does, but he is actually there. Okay. Uh, and like his parents are running a haunted house thing out of their garage on Halloween. But for some reason, they hire two babysitters for him. Even though <laughs> this kid there. must be terrible. Holy shit. This kid must be the worst kid ever. One of them's Linnea Quigley, interestingly enough, and. She doesn't want to be there, but like the other babysitter just goes into the bathroom and escapes. <laughs> but like the thing is, earlier in the movie, while this kid was out like playing in traffic because he doesn't react to things and almost get hit by a car, uh, there's this woman who follows him home to their house and she's weird and witchy. Like I, I sent you the clip of that the, the weird exchange with this one really emphatic kid who's totally my favorite part of the movie. It was like he he insists that he saw a witch and they're like what did she have a broom and like he's like no there she is now and she it's just like this lady in like a gray sedan it's like witches don't drive cars he goes they do now <laughs> okay all right uh and th this kid is like he's wandering around trick-or-treating for the entire movie for this long unclear time because, like, time and space are totally without meaning in this film. And it's just, of like, course. every time he mentions the the history of it, it's like, Pumpkin Man! He always really puts some sauce on it. I love it. But this, nice. this weird lady who he identifies as the witch follows the other kid home for some reason. And, like, he goes to sleep in his room and he's having a bad dream. And she shows up in his room and it's like, you're having a bad dream. And then, like, he goes out to the parents it's like... Oh, I, I just ran into his room because he was having a bad dream. He's like, and who are you again? But then, like, she's just hanging out with them all night, too. So it's like there's three potential babysitters. What is with this kid? <laughs> oh, dear. Anyway, yeah, oh, dear. he's being stalked by a pumpkin-headed man, and it, you know, terrorizes the neighborhood in a very low-grade sort of way. Cool. Uh, next Sounds up is like fun. <laughs> yeah, I kind of loved it, but it's a very particular type of uh the lowest grade like it is shot on video i think or maybe eight millimeter okay next up is the legend of the stardust brothers uh this is a japanese music business satire musical 
uh, 80s, like, new wave type thing. All right. So there's this one dude who's a rockabilly guy, and there's one dude who's a new wave guy, and this very the Apple-esque uh, Faustian figure uh, hires them with a this great contract to, that like very lucrative contract, but they have to become a duo even though they hate each other and are in different bands. Hmm. Uh, but because secretly they may be brothers, they're twin brothers, and from like, Moose Jaw. <laughs> you'd think so uh and like their rival is this half cyborg kind of japanese david bowie but he secretly is the son of hitler of you know actual adolf hitler who shows yep. up at the end. it's really weird uh <laughs> also amazing they're, they're supported by this fan club president who runs into them and is like soon a much bigger star than they are and also like she's really op because uh when she gathers up in momentum she can like turn into a ball form and just roll over and mash people sorry this is a music movie yeah okay okay <laughs> it's, it's it's strange uh next up sounds is, like fun next up is beyond the time barrier it's uh one of those 50s sci-fi things, uh, you know, an Air Force test pilot. He breaks the time barrier, you know, like how they broke broke the sound barrier. Oh, we're, so you're going so fast that time can't catch up to yeah, you. Yeah, time, time well, snaps around him. It's, it's just a perfect angle and speed. Well, I guess that's kind of what happens when you try to go the speed of light. I guess like I, I feel like it's it's not terrible as far as 50s sci-fi logic goes. Uh, I, I get where they're coming from, and especially with the sound bearer having pretty recently been broken. And this is before space travel. Uh, uh, true. Yeah, it's it's interesting. And he ends ends up in post-apocalyptic uh, virus ravaged 2024. <laughs> We are so on track. <laughs> and uh, Well, uh, unfortunately, we're not even close because uh, at this point, most of uh, the people on Earth have moved to off-planet colonies because space travel oh. really took off like right away. Oh, yeah. It wasn't just uh, do it once and then say fuck it. Yeah, no, uh, it's it's sort of uh, most of the people left on Earth are sterile from bombardment by cosmic rays. They kind of really screwed up a lot of stuff with their space exploration and travel. Uh, so the the thing is, he wants to get back and uh, stop them from making the same mistakes. Uh, Earth is full of these disease-ravaged mutants, and they all have the silliest bald caps you've ever seen, like just the <laughs> cheapest so bad a really fun all triangle underground society all right <laughs> uh yeah and they're sterile uh most of them are mute all but like two people of the human race are mute uh and only one fertile woman and she kind of has a crush on him mm, so that's kind of the whole thing of course yeah uh next up is the exterminating angel this is a a really high class dinner party and I, I think this is a Spanish movie. So Luis Buñuel. And, you know, they, they have this lavish party and we see in the background the servants have all quit. And we also see reality maybe starting to fray around the edges of the party. Oh. And they're like, 
they're, like there there's wild animals for some reason in the kitchen and as uh, the the servants are quitting uh on a mass exodus and things are kind of weird and like hmm i don't know something's uh, kind of strange around the edges of it but it's a very lovely party it's very lavish a very high society and you know a pianist performs and uh they're just having such a lovely time and the social cue to leave just kind of gets missed uh, okay and it gets to the next morning and it sort of has ultimately kind of created this impenetrable barrier of social convention and they can't leave. Because <laughs> it'd be, be too awkward. <laughs> yeah. At first that's kind of the idea okay. and they can't leave. And then they just aren't able to leave. Like they don't, there, there's never a point where someone like runs up against a barrier and is pushed back. It's just, they can't leave. They can't leave this room. And they, they like have this the at the edge of the room, the and like notably, you know, all of the servants left. So there's no one to show them out. Uh, oh. <laughs> and they just kind of become trapped there. Uh, the, the people outside, like there are police and crowds have gathered, but they can't go in. <laughs> OK, so, uh, yeah, I mean, the it, the hours turn into days, the days turn into weeks uh, and they're trapped in there. Uh, you know, they, they have to uh, rely on uh, like they're, they're starting to break down the walls. They they like are, are resorting to feral uh, things. You know, they, they have one room where all the bad stuff is, you know, where if, if someone dies, that's where they go. And that's also where they go to poop. And it's also <laughs> where they go to have sex. Uh, yeah, it's it's uh, it's it's You're a, like fuck a, in the death room. Yeah, or it's a the fuck room. <laughs> it's a it's a very harsh social satire. You know, it's a Louis Buñuel thing. Uh, it's, I, I would say totally a masterpiece, a real great crazy movie. And it's just uh, the this sort of escalating thing that they just can't leave. <laughs> uh, and there there's never a, any kind of physical barrier that we're aware of. It's just they can't leave. And finally. Like, you know, when when they can leave, uh, maybe this spreads out into other parts of the world. Uh, yeah, and a very, very unusual ending capper to it when you get there. Uh, highly, highly recommend it. Cool. That sounds sounds interesting. Yeah. Uh, next up, Final Flesh. Uh, I sent you, uh, you the were trailer telling me about to this, this one. one yeah. <laughs> Made by Vernon Chapman, who's best known for Wonder Chosen and Xavier Renegade Angel. Okay. Uh, so he wrote this really surreal script uh, about three characters, a father, mother, and daughter, and he cut it into four pieces and he sent it to four different custom online porn companies in uh, the mid aughts. Okay. Uh, and yeah, it's, it's completely demented. Uh, it's very surreal. They're really earnestly going at it. They they are not in on the joke. Uh, there is some graphic masturbation. It is one of the most brain melting things I've ever seen. Like it's just because like you know I, after you know every quarter of the film they like put their heads down on the table and they get up and there are three different people who are sort of the same people but also like play the things very differently and it kind of doesn't matter because there's not a lot of consistent reality in any portion of it <laughs> uh very weird stuff happening throughout interesting uh next up is chafed elbows uh i i had kind of a weird brain melting experimental uh day slash night 
had an edible for the first time in quite a while. <laughs> so uh, the next one there was Chafed Elbows, which is uh, part of the Robert Downey Senior set. Okay. Uh, this one's interesting because it's very experimental in that it's like uh, mostly still images that they kind of cycle through and, and show like a series of photographs instead of like uh, a moving image. So it'll sort of like play like stop motion or animation. They'll like have a guy hit his head on a desk and like go back and forth between a few or something like that. Interesting. All right. Uh, but it, sometimes it does, it does also shoot on the streets. It's a lot of abandoned downtown New York in like the real bad 70s garbage crisis era. No, I guess this is 60s. So like disused areas of New York that are really mm -hmm. derelict. Uh, the script kind of feels like it's cobbled together entirely out of New York post shock headlines because it's about this <laughs> dude who's in an incestuous relationship with his mom and he's like he goes out and he gets hired like someone puts a signature on him and it's like you're a piece of artwork now and I need you to be here at this place and he's like sold as living art uh, it turns out he's gotten his cousin pregnant he throws her out a window uh it it climaxes with him triumphantly going on welfare. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, next up is the return of Captain Invincible, which Ooh. is a very weird, silly musical satire. Uh, Alan Arkin is a washed up drunk superhero, Captain Invincible. Cool. And the McCarthy HUAC hearings ousted him from America. Oh no! You know he oh, he saved. He's he saved the world in World War II, and then uh, you know they they questioned his allegiances, and you know uh, he's just a washed up drunk now in Australia. Skylab falls on him, and he comes to people's attention again. Hmm. Uh, so he ultimately has to come out of retirement to stop a white supremacist plot, genocide, white genocide, or white supremacist genocide plot, I should say, uh, right, by. Right. Uh, by Christopher Lee as Dr. Oh. Midnight. Oh, cool. Uh, okay. Yeah. And this is a musical. So like they sing big goofy songs. Uh, it's very weird. It's, it's super low budget. It's uh, strange. Like, have you ever seen howling Two? your sister is a werewolf? That doesn't sound familiar. <laughs> okay. It's from the same director and it oddly feels the same <laughs> distinct style I, and like it's it's kind of a, an osploitation movie that pretends to be an american movie all right yeah uh next up talons of the eagle this is once again billy blanks and jalal murray oh can we expect some mercy this time uh probably not this one okay. is the most generic of the bunch like the other ones had virtual arts and were like sci-fi stuff this one is just they're undercover martial artists they 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 have to go undercover at a martial arts tournament and then they go undercover with the drug kingpin it's played by james hong it's cool oh cool uh you know pretty by the numbers <laughs> uh i kind of dozed a bit through the action climax because it's just uh I, you, you you've seen it all before but you know, it's, it's watchable <laughs> right on and last one is Mill of the Stone Women. So there's this art student who's going to go study at this creepy windmill that has a Chamber of Horrors carousel show in the basement with dead women turned into stone statues dressed up in these historical outfits of like famous dead women, you know, like oh. Cleopatra with the asp or uh, uh, Joan of Arc. 
at the stake. You know, mm-hmm. that kind of thing. Uh, yep. Creepy. The the sculptor is, as you see, a mad scientist, of course. Uh, his daughter keeps killing herself, and he is, like, reviving her by giving her full blood changes from living women, and then uh, they turn into statues. Like, he has this process to turn them into statues. Oh, jeez. <laughs> it's, it's really weird. Um, very atmospheric, uh, kind of surrealist. It's very super colorful. This was the first Italian horror movie in color. Oh, okay, cool. So really colorful gel lighting. It sort of set the stage for uh, Bava to come. Uh, it's kind of a movie where just everybody is gaslighting everybody else the whole time. Right on. So from those 10, what do you figure? Um, well, it's it's between Stardust Brothers and the Exterminating Angel. Okay. And uh, I don't because <laughs> you kind of sold me on both. But uh... I mean, Exterminating Angel is a masterpiece. Like it, it is a, a great film. Uh, but like Stardust Brothers is like it's a blast. It's really weird. It's super eccentric uh uh very very different vibes obviously Mm. like one is like a harsh social satire and and or uh, kind of religious satire as well uh and you know the other one is uh weird very super japanese 80s pop culture thing why don't we go with the exterminating angel then because i don't i think i'll have an We'll have an easier time convincing our friend when we hang out to watch the uh, Stardust Brothers than that. That's true. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, so we have a handful of additions to the stacks. Uh, first right. is The Amazing Transparent Man. Ooh. It's another uh, 50s sci-fi one. There's this escaped convict, and they turn him invisible or transparent so he can steal nuclear secrets for him. Like this supervillain wants him to steal nuclear secrets. Uh-huh. Obviously, that's who yeah. would have a, an invisible ray. Uh, but it, it turns him radioactive. It's slowly killing him. So he's going to go get revenge instead. Because he's radioactive, radioactive. That song ruined that word for me. I hate that song. Uh, next up is The Shooting. It's an early acid Western. A Roger Corman uh, produced one. Uh, it, and it's uh, uh, Monty Hellman, who's this pretty great uh, tour director from the seventies did really weird existential stuff. Uh, most, most famously a two lane blacktop where at the end of the movie just gets so intense in the car race that the film just burns up and it doesn't end. <laughs> nice. So this one there, it's about this woman who hires a couple miners. Uh, one of them is Warren Oates, who I'm a big fan of, and they're uh, wanting to track. She wants them to track down this wanted man for her. And then, Jack Nicholson is one of the dudes tracking them. This is like really early Nicholson from before he was a star. Okay. Like early 60s. Uh, very weird and minimalist. Kind of an existential thing. Just them all marching towards death. You got like these two guys tracking this one guy. And there's Nicholson tracking them and other people with him and stuff. Cool. Yeah. Uh, next from the Robert Downey Sr. set is No More Excuses. Uh, which seems to be sort of a quasi-documentary with him just kind of tooling around late 60s New York and interviewing people about sex and relationships and, like, whether pets should have to wear clothes and so forth. (laughs) Okay, all right. Uh, Next up is Stone, uh, where a member of a satanic biker gang witnesses a political assassination. 
and the assassin starts targeting the gang. So they have to get together with the police and an undercover police officer works with the gang to try and find these political assassins who are targeting satanic bikers. A crazy uh, Australian, like major exploitation, like one of the early key ones along with like Mad Max. All right, cool. And last up is Raw Courage, where three marathon runners are going on a run through the desert. And uh, on the way, they happen to stumble upon a bunch of far right doomsday preppers on dirt bikes who oh. uh, terrorize the shit out of them. Yeah, of course. Of course. Yeah. So uh, what do you figure is our main feature for next week? Well, um, I was feeling some Sartana, and I might still be. But I also saw on here Bloody Mama. Now, in Stingray, they they compare uh, Abigail to Ma Barker and say she's way, way worse than Ma Barker. Or, Or I can't remember what the actual line is. Right. But, uh, and, you know, obviously on the uh, uh, pop culture version of Ma Barker, who is very heightened and ridiculous, which is uh, certainly what Bloody Mama does. This is a Roger Corman one. Cool. Uh, so uh, it's very heightened. I believe that has a very young Robert De Niro in it. Oh, wow. OK. As, as one of the Barker boys. Hmm. Um, yeah. Well, you know what? I feel like it's been a while since we've done a Western. So let, let's let's do the next Sartana and I'll keep Ma Barker on the Barker back burner. All right. So uh, that one's I am Sartana, your angel of death. The second one in the series. <laughs> oh, that's right. The titles. If you see Sartana, you will probably die. So you should pray, you should pray to maybe not die because that's what he does is he kills things. So we got an angel double bill next week. Uh, I am Sartana, your angel of death, and the exterminating angel. Uh, kind of yeah, I definitely did that on purpose. Both dealing with some uh, exterminating or terminating uh, angels of death. Uh, so yeah, uh, any last thoughts before we close for this week? Um, oh, I already did the song. Yeah, you can't you, do you, it again. <laughs> Uh, okay, well, uh, thanks so much, everyone, for listening. Uh, and fools shine on. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>